Jeff Cobb is the Romelu Lukaku of New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Benno. I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And this week, it's our detox of uh, of G1, our kind of our, our wrap-up show on uh, all the overall thoughts on the tournament that we uh, we couldn't get into, our mammoth episode that we did on Monday. So, yeah, you can in- enjoy episode hours five and six of uh, us talking this week but in case you're bored by our voices we uh drafted in the uh the king of sport himself if that's sport sport is hailing uh, of the british wrestling experience <laughs> it's our mate jamesy jamesy how's it going hi guys um i didn't realize this was a podcast i'm i'm here to see a man about an xbox <laughs> <laughs> joe is it still going Absolutely. The only thing that might screw me over is the postage to Ireland. But yeah, I'm prepared, yeah. to, <laughs> prepared to wave it in a good performance today, Jay. <laughs> we can talk numbers. We can talk numbers. Um, based on recent records, you know, I'm pretty sure you're putting a stellar performance once again because I was well impressed last time. Ah, uh, thanks, Joe. You're very kind. Thank you. An adequate replacement. If oh. Big, big shoes to fill in fairness now, Joe. Big shoes to fill. <laughs> Got an analogy in and everything, Joe. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I have potentially got someone interested in your Xbox. Who? You? I, I'm not going to... I don't know if I should necessarily say on it. Go on. Oh, go on, Joe. Hey. No. Don't blue ball the other oh, shape. Friend of... Joe, Dave Green. He's, he's expressed a quite, okay. quite interest. Okay, okay, okay. Well, let the, bidding, let the bidding begin. Jamesy versus uh, Dave Green. <laughs> You're going to add an indie corner tax? Oh, you or? see now. <laughs> Uh, oh, no, make, yeah. a, make a good birthday present, Jamesy. Yeah, true enough. Yeah, yeah. Ah, good yeah. stuff. So there's, yeah, we, yeah um, other than that, only the one so far. Okay, so you'll be like the auction guy at Sotheby's or something, will you now? I didn't ask for this role, but clearly it's the role that I'm going to be forced to. To be honest, into. if you were working at an auction now, there's one of the stats guys moving expensive paintings in and out of cupboards or something, I reckon. <laughs> no offence. <laughs> Would I have to wear my JP cap as well? Right? Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. Giza hat is, is That was missing. In... I need to get a ghetto-style JP cap, like it's <laughs> appeared to, just turning it onto the G slightly. But he, he had a nice kind of like lighter cap. That one's too too thick for winter. But, yeah, if I was wearing it now, I'd be a dead man. <laughs> well, at least winter's coming, mate. Uh, Winter James, is coming. Jamesy, have you got any uh, any geezer hats? Do you have anything like that that you wear? Is it a <laughs> is it a fashion staple for yourself? No, my d- my dad now is a different story. I I don't wear hats. I, I'm one of these people that just thinks hats on them constantly. I, I stretch to a woolly hat on a very very. I have to walk to work or something like that. But in general, I'm just one of these guys whose head just doesn't shape up. My head just doesn't suit hats in general. But my dad now is a different. My dad is um, from West Cork, which is which is about as rural a part of Ireland as you can get. And there was a time when he married my mum in the early years, where she used to have to tell him to take the cap off in the house. It's it's, it's like the it's like the Gado peaked hat. It's kind of like a farmer's cap. And like for years, they argued over this hat, where they were like, well, "Why could he not just?" hat off in the house so um, yeah it's 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 in the blood maybe maybe when i get older we, we might mm. be able to stretch to it a little by the wife a bit maybe that kind of thing you know <laughs> she might take to it though and then you, you, could, you could grow like a 
the beard with it as well. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, this whole Peaky Blinders thing now is getting fashionable, you know, oh, so maybe I could be, for once in my life, I could be ahead of the fashion trends. <laughs> they, we were in that Peaky Blinders bar. Yeah. Then I... It's like stag do hell <laughs> in Liverpool. Like every every time you go there, there's at least 20 different stag do's all, all got the, the same idea to dress Peaky Blinders. I did wonder, JP, that you were going to be offended, uh, like you were offended by the Irish bar, that people were, uh, were, was... were taking over your culture. It was, I've seen one episode of Peaky Blinders. I thought life. it was shit. And I'm not not a fan. First episode I tried to right. watch it. I, I tried to watch it twice and got three episodes through twice. First time I watched it years ago and was like, nah, this feels like Boardwalk Empire on the BBC. And then the second time I started again with my girlfriend and both like, nah, this is the BBC trying to do HBO. Nah, not a good show. Overrated. So, sorry to offend anyone who's a Peaky Blinders fan, but you know <laughs> you used to being offended by me by this point. <laughs> we so we weren't. We've worked our way through the list of things you dislike. I don't like uh, my. I don't have like a seething dis- hatred for Peaky Blinders like I do a roast dinner. Or Bray I just didn't think it was a very good TV show, and I don't really get the hype. That's all I'll say. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I've watched one episode. The music stuff I just couldn't get on with. Yeah, I blame uh, Baz Luhrmann for that. Yeah. Great Gatsby was a film that was responsible for a lot of annoying kind of how can I put it, cultural goings-on, the amount of great Gatsby parties that went on mm. afterwards where people would be dressed up while listening to hip-hop as if they were in the great Gatsby and Jay-Z and Kanye West was playing over the top of some scene of them in a plush, I don't know, mansion or something. Yeah, fuck it out. Anyway, G1. <laughs> <laughs> well, before, I mean, G1's over, so we've got time to kind of watch this type of stuff. Like this week I've been catching up on Euphoria. It's a good show, been watching that on HBO. Succession started again. Have you, have you been watching anything, Jamesy, oh. or, or you guys? Have, have you been uh, catching up on anything that isn't wrestling, or are we just right back at it and watching all the wrestling that's not G1 now? Just kind of glad the G1 is over. I, I, myself and my wife mm. always say to each other that um, before we had kids, what did we... I'm sure you can identify with this, JP. What did we actually do with our time? Oh, like we have no, Waste it. What the fuck were we doing all the time in the evenings, you know, because yeah. we have no time now to do anything. And I kind of feel that way after the G1 ended. It's like, what did I do at my lunch breaks? I'm going to have to talk to people again on my lunch break now. I'm going to have to be sociable. I'm not going to be running off to the toilet for 20, 30 minutes on end at half 12 every day. Like it's 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 all a bit weird. Like it's kind of a, a bit, it's nice to have this detox to kind of mm. get it out of my system. And that'll be the end of it then, you know. Yeah. That's that's pretty much how I am. I, I, I couldn't face watching any wrestling. In fact, I binged watched a series on Amazon Prime called The Boys. Which I haven't is seen it yet. Sort of seeing it. Rogue Super. I'll be intrigued to see what you mean. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's very interesting because I, I couldn't face like watching wrestling and and the, even the news at the minute. I, I just seem to be getting too angry at that. So I just wanted to watch something that was easy to switch my head off. Mm. But um, yeah, in terms of this, I was ready... I don't know. The length, I mean, this was probably as easy a G1 watch as we're ever going to get. Yeah. But it was like, by the end, I was ready. I'm ready for the end of this. And then it'll be the detox until, well, really, Summer Sizzler. And it's like the end of a football season. It is. I, I can't ever follow pre-season. I watched a bit of the Women's World Cup, but I can't say I was watching the Copper America or the African Nations Cup or any pre-season games. I need a break. Yeah. Come May, June. Should have watched the Toulon Under-21 tournament. No. The European no. Under-21. <laughs> they were a couple of belting events. That's your <laughs> job. <laughs> That's... No one else puts himself through that. 
And, or League of Ireland. I could have followed that throughout the summer with the way that their calendar works. But, Jamesy, yeah. I'm sure you've not even been watching League of Ireland, so why would I bother? <laughs> I, I don't... I don't watch it as much as JP does, to be perfectly honest. Like, you probably, I don't know, did you, was it Was it on the Grapple podcast? He was schooling me on, on my hometown team about oh, their yeah. fortunes in the last few years. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm deferring to JP as the <laughs> the League of Ireland um, expert for sure, yeah. Need need Bo's Johnny on here. He'd, he'd Bo's Johnny, he's the man, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time I see him, just like run up, just talk League of Ireland, just bore him about League of Ireland. Like, oh, <laughs> um, ah, he loves it, he loves it. But I'll be watching League of Ireland tomorrow night. I, I'm not too sure how many people will. It's Dundalk versus Finn Harps. Well, Finn they... Harps in a good run of form. Dundalk out of Europe. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Going, yeah. eh? It was, they were properly, but he wasn't even on telly. I saw Linfield are doing all right, though. They did. Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 keep the red hand flying. Um, they're, they're doing they're doing very well. They're a much more professional setup there, but the league season doesn't work for them. This is why people wanted to listen to this G one. But that's just that's just that's, that's all I'm say. doing is I'm just just promoting the League of Ireland. <laughs> well, Josie, here this time so go and see OTT sort it in. <laughs> I thought me and Joe could run interference on the Irish stuff, but you're just encouraging it now, Joe. Uh, but that well, is... <laughs> I'll distract if if you want to do some if you don't want to do something wrestling related go watch uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood saw it last night best Tarantino film since Pulp Fiction oh there you go uh, I, I want to see it but that that encourages me the reviews I'd seen so far weren't so great and I do feel like he's a, a big star booker at this point Quentin Tarantino where it's the big it's the big performances and the big actors and actresses mm. that are, have been carrying his last couple of films. So that encourages me encourages me a little bit. I might maybe like go see that after I finally get out to see Hobbs and Shaw. There's real heart in this film. That's mm. what I'll say. It felt like his most personal film in a weird roundabout way. It may not seem personal in the face of it, but you can tell that it's kind of a bit of a love letter. Mm. But it's quite a fitting love letter as well. And yeah. If I say anything, it's kind of a spoiler because it's that okay. sort of film. Mm. But yeah, I would highly recommend it. I don't know when I'm, I'm going to because my kids, unfortunately, I could make one sit on top of the other shoulders and draw beards on them or whatever to get them in to go and see it with me. Because otherwise, yeah, I'll have to wait about a week or so. Before I can do There's that. basically one scene which causes it to be an 18 as well. And it's annoying because I'm sure they've seen more brutal before in games they've played and in... Goodfellas when you showed your son that recently. That's he, for sure. He loved Goodfellas. He was 14. Just of course he did. Just, Guns, oh, violence, yeah. bit of sex. I mean, come on. He had everything. And he also did the uh, traditional, he looked, tried to make out that he was appalled by any sex scenes that happened. And he was like, oh. Only because you're in like, the room. I was oh, like, yeah, you're, you're playing the game that I did. <laughs> if, if we were watching Channel 4 with my mum. Like, <laughs> Hang on. That was Breaking all the, the worst. <laughs> what was that changing that was always the worst when you'd be watching something especially if it was with your mum mm. and there'd be some kind of a sex scene or something like, even if you were watching like I used to watch for years watch Corrie with my mum mm. uh, we all would and um, like Anthony at all and that you're just staring at the floor like waiting for it to be over waiting for it to be over it's just the worst thing ever so yeah I sympathise with your sons JP for sure yeah um, yeah they you should be making it worse though you, as a dad now you should be making it worse somehow Winding them up. Oh, I could, <laughs> I can, I can up the tempo. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like I don't know. Just 
just put on showgirls for a laugh. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I think I've probably mentioned it on the podcast before, but the worst I ever had with my mum was when I'd stay up watching the the German wrestling on DSF. Uh, I think, you know what? I think we mentioned it in Germany when we did the live podcast, but uh, I'd stay up watching the German wrestling. But the problem was DSF would turn into a porn channel in the later hours. I remember her and my dad getting back from a night out and uh, I'd turn the TV off. Back in the days of analog, uh, and I, I was in bed, and then I got woken up. My mum screaming at me because she turned the TV on, and, and some German porno was right in the middle of it. And I was like, "No, I was just trying to watch the wrestling. That's all I was doing." I was going around to my that? mate's dad's house, and uh, we turned. We, we went around there for like a um, Super Sunday or something, and we turned the TV on, and uh, his, his dad had the TV on, and it was on like red hot Asian babes from the <laughs> night before but like the channel hadn't started because it was like midday but that was the last channel that he'd been watching it was kind of like this really awkward moment whereas I think if JP put on that you'd make some sort of joke about you like your Asian babes or something wouldn't you oh, I, I, I haven't got Sky so this is all the non-star of a situation yeah, yeah. but yeah I haven't uh... should have seen the size of this mate's dad's porn collection as well when we found that we found like a treasure trove it was yeah <laughs> Gold mine at 15. I thought I was doing well with the five-minute Playboy channel preview that would be on after Raw every Friday night, uh, thinking I was being <laughs> sneaky at midnight when that would flip over. That's like another hole of the well for me. <laughs> yeah, and we also found a video in his collection that was like, it said like, Ross's birth, and we were like, what? So we we thought it was going to be like, oh no, it wasn't, it didn't say that, it said home video Ross or something. We are like, what is this? And it was in his dad's porn collection? So we thought it was going to be like home videos, but his mum and dad like, fuck him. So we put it on and it was like his mum and dad holding him after he'd been born. But he just kept that along with some, along with some video, a Rangers oh, videos, just it, like Rangers greatest games, some Rangers Celtic old firm game from the late 80s, just in his pool collection. Yeah, it was great. Oh my God. Well, if anyone thought we were going to do a hard-nosed two hours of G1 analysis here, then, yeah, you got your normal spotlight. It's what you came for, though, isn't it, Jamesy? Yeah, that's why we that. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't <laughs> want to talk about wrestling at all. Xboxes <laughs> and porn, basically. Amazing. Old school porn. There you go. <laughs> the good stuff. The good old days. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't just on tap. These kids the show, don't know. <laughs> mucky videos. <laughs> it repl- it's the better folder than Irish stuff. Um, but we probably oh, should... Don't. Talk some G1. It's a bit of a filthy Thursday, this, at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> uh, there you go. That's, That's the title, Filthy Thursdays. <laughs> uh, anyway. after hours. <laughs> G1, G1, anyway, G1. Um, G1. Uh, <laughs> You're not getting this like on Meltzer, are you, eh? Oh. <laughs> uh, he called it... big Dave, this is nowhere near Big Dave's G1 reviews <laughs> with, with Alvarez, is it? No, well, he called it the greatest tournament in pro wrestling history. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, it might be a good place to start, mm. to be honest. Uh, we should probably... I mean, today we're going to talk like the, the tournament as a whole. We're going to talk about the our favourite matches. We're going to go through some grapple stats on uh, on what the uh, the highest rate of matches were. Also talk about some individual performances, including uh, mine, JP, and Jamesy's performances and some of the pickems. And, yeah, just generally uh, talk some G1. Um, and just kind of, like I said at the start, detox from it all. I mean, I suppose we can start there, uh, Jamesy, obviously you were you weren't with us when we we talked the final. So I don't know. Overall, you know, people call it some people call it the greatest tournament in in wrestling history. Mainly, mainly Big Dave. Uh, I'm not so sure on that, but I thought it was a strong tournament. I thought it it finished strong. Uh, I I enjoyed the story of 
you know, the favourites losing at the start and then coming back, although in some individual instances it maybe looked one or two people look weak, but overall I thought he told a, a really good story across the tournament, and you probably heard last week, well, earlier in the week, James, is we uh, we disagreed a little bit on the final, um, the, the payoff to the big story being uh, babyface Kota Ibushi against the uh, heel Jay White. I mean, what are your overall thoughts on the tournament, and uh, how did you uh, think on uh, how it ended up? <laughs> I, I thought it was a good tournament. I, I wouldn't be saying it was the greatest of all time or anything close. Um, I think these these G1s the last four or five years, like you're guaranteed good wrestling. Like you look mm. at the quality of names that are in them and it's it's never going to be bad. You know what I mean? But um, I, I think of the last four or five years, it's up there as one of the best. I, I think I still kind of have a soft spot for the one that Omega won. Uh, was that 20, 2016, I think? Mm, um, yes. I remember really, really enjoying that tournament. And I think I was kind of, I was with Omega on his journey at that point. I, I kind of, I was very much behind him and I wanted him to win it kind of a thing. Um, so like, very, very good you won. Um, I think what it may have lacked was the high-end matches. Now, I think mm. like we're going to look at some Meltzer's star ratings later on and some of them were fairly outrageous. Like, <laughs> But to my mind, um, the... I, what it missed were like I would always traditionally have never talked about match of the year until the G1 was over because you kind of would expect there to be two or three high end candidates coming from the tournament alone. Mm. This year, I think I would say there's probably in the whole tournament there's one match that I would say has a chance of being match of the year. Um, so from that point of view, you know, as I said, probably didn't deliver the high end matches. I think what it had going for it more than anything is that it, it raised the bar in terms of the lower end matches. Um, I think it's it's the it's the highest. Like it's the best set of matches we've had in terms of there haven't been many awful matches. Like they, they took some guys out of the tournament from last year mm. that really were hard to watch. Your Togi Makabe's, your Yoshihashi's, your Tanga, your Tamatonga. Um, and they brought in some top quality guys. Like they brought in the likes of Osprey and Shingo, who were two of the top performers for me. Um, and it, like they had Moxley in there. There was a freshness to a lot of the matches. So highly, highly enjoyable tournament. As I said, best ever not even close, I don't think, in my opinion, but really enjoyable. Flew by. The way it was booked, as you said, was excellent, Benno. The way it was laid out was just, it was just a joy, like really, like like there were times when I was maybe away for a weekend in the middle of it, which mm. would have been a nightmare a few years ago. Easily able to get through the matches. I feel like they, even the, like, an hour and a half to two hours you could skip the entrances even and you could get it done easily like I remember struggling badly with it in years gone by where you fell a couple of days behind oh, and there were four or five shows in a row yeah oh, oh god yeah yeah but but even the times when they were doing maybe four days in a row and mm. like you missed the first two and you're just chasing your tail the whole time you know what I mean and you're kind of and what happens then is you see the results of matches so you enjoy them less again whereas with this for a lot of it I was watching matches live or I only had to stay off Twitter's like for, for the morning and then start watching at lunchtime and that kind of thing so real easy tournament to sit through I thought mm. Yeah, and I thought, I think I completely agree with you on the pacing. I mean, Joe and JP, you'll probably agree with me. Like the the only time I really struggled was that weekend when you guys were up in Liverpool and we were out every day and we tried to get catch bits of G1, didn't we? And I fell a couple mm. of days behind. But that was about it, really. That was as much as I struggled. Maybe those couple of days midweek before the finals, I, I struggled a little bit to get in as well. But 
G1 fatigue didn't really hit me this year. Like you made the tweet about it, JP, today. You know, sod G1 fatigue. Let's talk some more G1 today. But G1 fatigue is always the big conversation coming out of these things, or it's always something we talk about in the middle. Um, and really, yeah, aside from that big weekend, which was kind of our own fault because we were basically out on the piss for four days straight. Uh, I found it. I found the whole tournament a breeze. And yeah, I'm with James. Yeah, I would probably wouldn't call it the the best tournament tournaments in wrestling history. I wouldn't call it the best G1 in the last you know three or four years. I think it's. In the middle of the road for me, but still very good. I'm with Jamesy, and that I, you know, I didn't give up. We're going to go through matches in a minute. I didn't give a five stars at any point, um, but I still absolutely loved it. Uh, I don't know where, where do you do you two stand on it? On as far as you know that, as far as watchability this year, and when where does it stand up with the uh, with the other great tournaments in wrestling, mainly the uh, the other G ones? Because what else can you really compare it to to this level? Yeah, I think in terms of tournaments, if I was doing my top five tournaments, it would be five g ones <laughs> yeah between like 2013 yeah. and 2019 um i think for me 2016 to 2018 as a runner g ones as kind of the three highest hard to put them in any sort of particular order maybe 2017 because i think the sort of high higher matches in 2017 were kind of sort of mm. the peak and i think 2017 is a year is possibly, I think, the best year for big matches maybe ever when you look back at 2017. Um, I was going through my uh, match of the year lists, which I've got going back to uh, 2015, and I was looking at how many matches from G1s are in my top 10 for each year. And for 2019, 2018, and 2017, it was four. And for 2016, it was three. So if you base it purely on like high-end work rate, my argument is almost a bit redundant with 2017 because mm. there are as many at this point in the year, but I think there's an investment that goes with that as well. And I didn't feel that I was as invested in anyone's particular chase to the G1 this year. Whereas in those previous years, I think 2016, 2017 was like, I was on sort of like peak Omega, if that makes sense. And was urging him on in both tournaments and then last year, I was all, as much as I wanted Abushi to win this year, last year I was all in on Abushi in a big way and also kind of on the Tanahashi thing as well. So it was kind of the perfect final. So I think just having that investment in a wrestler's journey um, is probably why I preferred, say, 2016 to 2018. But in terms of kind of, I think, the mid level matches, I think they were sort of, the, as James, he said, sort of the strongest mm. this year, mm. if anything. And I also think the layouts of the cards have got more more kind of, um, how can I put it, uh, more enjoyable, easy to watch over time as well. So I think they've learned from previous years on how to lay out a card on a G1 night. Also stuff like Yano. I think Yano has been used incredibly effectively in 2018 and 2019, whereas in previous years his matches were automatic skippable matches whereas they found a way around the kind of yarno formula in the last couple of there years were events. yeah to give you something different on a card when he's wrestling as well and i think as james you said as well getting rid of the likes of Maccabe, mm. who just felt like they were taking up space i think has been for the best if anything but mm. there are various wrestlers i've missed in this g1 as well i definitely have missed omega in the g1 mm. um i think there's sort of like uh big sort of high-end match that he's arguably the only guy in the world that can wrestle that sort of match on his day if anything uh, and that maybe wasn't there in quite the same way uh suzuki i thought his absence was felt a little as well i get why they did it um but they did replace guys as well with guys who were 
much better and much more effective in the tournament. And to be honest, I hope they carry on not having the likes of, say, Maccabee in tournaments going forward at this point. Mm. Yeah, I would I would echo a lot of the thoughts of what you guys um, have said. I wouldn't have this at, at the top end of it, simply because, like you, Benno, I didn't go for five stars on no. Did any anyone? Matches Did you, James? No, no, my highest is four point seven five, and that's oh. only one match. Same with you, John. Yeah, I got I got two matches at four point seven five as well. Interesting, mm. and that's uh, and that's not to say that anything's bad. I mean, if you've probably looked at it and and the amount of matches that you would, if you look at what the star ratings are there for in terms of like shorthand guides to people about whether or not you should watch a match. If you go four stars, as you should go out of your way to see this. Mm. This year feels like it has more depth for the reasons that, that have already been outlined, which are to do with sprucing up that that card, removing some of the dross, and it has lost something in it. But I also think this G1 felt like this was New Japan setting their stall for kind of the next 18 months of who they think the guys are, whether we agree or disagree. So it felt like it had lost in those previous years. The There were like really serious big match fields for a lot of the given the amount of sort of top liners in there if you're thinking even back to the likes of when Nakamura was there and this year it feels like this is the year that they wanted to make sure that that Osprey was coming out of it in a hot way even even people like Shingo and we're going to talk about you know who who benefited from this it's now got the depth in that roster is is at a serious level there's not as many that you would think are in the 1A category, but there are a lot of options to go to for who, who they can pick and choose from. And a lot of guys who can fit in and out of main events when they're doing Kurokun, they're doing the Row 2 shows. So I think if nothing else, what this tournament did is establish people. And that's like the best example of that is someone like Lance Archer. Oh, yeah. And what, he, and what he's, he's gained out of it. So I think for what they wanted to achieve, They've actually achieved it. It's like those points that we might doubt Ghetto, and then he ends up doing this. And it's, I mean, this must be at this point one of the most incredible runs as Booker in terms of just sheer growth because this has been another growth year in the G1 for them. Mm. They've, you know, sold more tickets. They've done more events. It's, you know, it's, yeah, really great, but not the best. Yeah, I think it got, it got reported like, as far as uh, attendance goes. I think it was it overall, I think the full tournament drew just under 100,000 fans. I think that's uh, about 97, yeah. Yeah, it was in the Observer today that it was up uh, 6.5% from last year, which, you know, is a, it's a small bump, uh, but, you know, mm-hmm. impressive nonetheless. Uh, yeah, I could, again, echo everything all you guys said there. I completely agree with what Jamesy said that, you know, it was an easy watch this year because you could blow through matches in mm. an hour and again i love the variety in the tournament like you've, like you've all said there as well yano offered something different i thought you know you just mentioned lance archer thought he was almost the yano of his block in that his matches were always different to the other matches in the block that mm. i really enjoyed as well uh and yeah it, well, it really was an incredible tournament but it is interesting that you know you bring up jp that we all all of us are in agreement that it was a great tournament, but none of us quite went five stars. I mean, Jamesy, you mentioned you got mm. two at 4.75, and so have I. Interested if they're, if they're the same ones, but, uh, I mean, yeah, we could probably 
break into that now like what were what were your top matches in the tournament and did you uh did you consider giving anything five did you come close um and does it hurt the tournaments at all not having that that absolute standout five-star match like maybe an omega might give you like joe said yeah i just had i just had the one at 4.75 and my match at the tournament was was the final jay white against ibushi i would say if if it was possible to give a match four and seven eights i'd give it four and seven eights i really really considered going five on it but what i kind of have a policy about five star matches that if you're not certain you can't kind of go all five you know what i mean and i think with five star matches for me you kind of you know Mm. when it's a five-star match whereas with this i just couldn't quite go there you know what i mean but um yeah like i i just thought this match was was incredible you know and um i i heard joe's analysis <laughs> of it the other day and, and like it, it's 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 totally fair like i mean if if you're not into a wrestler like we all have guys we just can't get into you know what i mean and um if you're not into jay white i can see why you wouldn't like this match because it was it, it, for, for a lot of it, it was the Jay White show almost, you know what I mean? And like, I, I had a certain expectation going into this match. Um, do you remember, I think it was two nights previously, Jay White had the match with Juice Robinson where he very early went after Robinson's leg and he, I, I like, I love that match. I had that actually as my third favorite match at the tournament, uh, which might surprise a lot of people, but he just completely dissected Robinson's leg. And, um, it's immediately kind of set me thinking about Jay White being in the final. We know that Ibushi had had this injured ankle and straight away I had this expectation for the final where Jay White would go after Ibushi's ankle and that would be the story of the match. Mm. And it, it, the way I look at wrestling, um, one of my issues with New Japan and the match style is that a lot of the matches, and like maybe we'll have a conversation about, I know you guys talked about them on the previous podcast about Okada, where the, maybe the first 15 to 20 minutes of his match, not a lot happens and nothing happens in those 15, 20 minutes that has consequences for the end of the match. So, what story are they telling in a lot of these New Japan matches? You know what I mean? It feels in some cases they're doing stuff and then they get to a hot finishing stretch and that's your match. Whereas with this match, I felt there was a story from the very, very start. You had a conniving heel who knew his opponent had a weakness and you had a valiant baby face trying to overcome the odds. And like for me as a wrestling fan and as somebody who's looking at wrestling, that's something for me to sink my teeth into straight away. You know what I mean? And like for that reason, I was completely gripped by this match from the very first bell. You know, like I, I was watching to see Wood White go after the ankle. I was nearly punching the air in celebration when he kind of did it because it was what I wanted from the match. You know, um, I, to my mind, it's it's Jay White's career performance. I, I think this is by far his best singular performance of his career. I would say it's the best match of his career. Um, mm. Definitely the match of the G1 and probably my New Japan match of the year as well. Um and like the, the way White, I think he must be one of the best limb workers in the world. Like the, the way he goes after a limb, the way he keeps going back to it, the, the unique, like I've seen guys do limb work. Like you, you might remember guys when we talked about, um, I think it was on the BWE a few weeks ago about mm. a Sean Guinness match against Jordan Devlin. And Guinness, the story of the match was Guinness working Devlin's ribs. 
Mm. And like normally to me, I'd be delighted with that. And again, it would be something I could sink my teeth into and would keep me interested in the match from the start. But it was really bland work. And like the, the, the crowd kind of died because of it. And mm. um, there was nothing interesting about what he was doing. He was doing rest holes. Whereas when White does it, he has these unique ways of attacking the leg. Oh, yeah. He's, you know, he's twisting it. He's catching it in the ropes. There's a viciousness about him when he's doing it. Um, and like, my worry about the match was Ibushi because to my mind Ibushi is a guy who limb selling has never been a thing that he's ever even bothered with in his matches you know <laughs> like he has done he has done matches with limb work and he just completely blows it off and does all his spectacular offence and, and you know it, it kind of ruins the whole thing nearly whereas in this match he was phenomenal like you know um, he was his facial expressions the way he sold you felt like he was a man in desperate pain the whole way through that match he had a look of anguish on his face the whole way through um, things he was like when White would throw a suplex he was selling his leg and when you think about how logical that is like like I've never taken a suplex but I'd imagine when you take a suplex you take huge impact on your legs but I've never seen somebody sell a leg having taken suplexes you know um, and like even when White was in trouble in the match, he'd go after the leg. Like when, when Ibushi was getting him up for a powerbomb, he's furiously hammering at the knee and he's stomping at the angle. Um, and there were moments like, you know, I think a great match has to have moments that you remember. Like, and there was a slap exchange at one point in that match where, where Ibushi is kind of to come in warm and White winds up and hits him with the hardest possible slap to the face. And like before that slap has landed, Ibushi is returning in kind and he just completely lays white out with this slap. You know what I mean? Just just a tremendous moment where um, Ibushi doing that thing where he's rest is descending on him. I think white hits him a slap and there's that moment where there's a murmur in the crowd where, you know, the red mist is coming down in Ibushi and he's going to go into that zone where his eyes are dead and he's just going to go into attack mode. And um, there's just this look on white's face of complete, he's a guy who's in over that he's kind of he's he's out of his depth at this stage and he's kind of he realizes now god like am i actually able to beat this guy or not um and my criticism like we talked the last day about jay white and my criticism was gato and that i feel like gato is almost too cartoonish cartoonish to be with white mm. and i think white could be a really good um conniving you know maniacal heel almost but but when gato is there it becomes cartoonish almost um mm. i think they did a great job of getting white uh, getting gato out of there like uh, and i heard people still complaining on twitter that the interference brought the match down for them like but i rewatched the match last night with a particular eye to how much the interference actually played into the match and gato was gone after pretty much after a minute and he didn't come back into the ring till something like the 17th minute of the match he was in the ring for maybe two for maybe a minute or two and in that time they continued to tell the story of working the leg like they, they did the chair shots to the leg and that kind of thing and what I would say is that the interference can be a good thing for a match because straight after that interference, when they'd gotten rid of Gato, Jay White put on the um, that inverted figure four that he does, the, the, the TT... TTO. TTO or... Yeah, TTO. Yeah, exactly. And But it was the loudest Ibushi chant of the match so far just after the interference. So, like, the crowd was buying into it. The crowd, because of the interference from the heels, the crowd got more behind Ibushi. And to my mind, if a heel is getting the crowd more behind the big baby face in the match, 
they're serving their purpose correctly. You know, they, they're doing exactly what they should be doing in that match. And that's not a bad thing for the match. That's a good thing, you know. Mm. Um, and yeah, just to me, uh, like, uh, and, and even the, the finishing stretch, like I, I've go, I've grown very weary of these reversal, the finisher reversals that a lot of people do in New Japan. I feel like Okada's a genius at doing it. And mm. I think Okada should be the only guy who does them because when everyone else does them, in a lot of cases, they just don't work for me. They seem clumsy. In a lot of times, I, I really feel Jay White isn't good at them. And oh, I think his it. finisher isn't. Mm. He loves doing them, but his finisher isn't conducive to it. it. It's just too clumsy and it's too awkward. But here, they kept it to a minimum and it did work. And mm. it added to the drama. It felt like um, that. It felt like a struggle, exactly. And it was a bit clumsy and you don't mind it in that situation, but it wasn't overdone. It wasn't over choreographed looking. It actually worked for once. And like there's a phenomenal kick out from the Kamagaya, which which I completely bit on. Like and I mean I don't bite on near falls as a general rule, but this one got me completely and I think there was a very good one even from the Blade Runner as well. Um so for me, just an immensely satisfying match that gives me everything I want from pro wrestling. Um and like I struggle to find fault with it, I, I can't criticise it. And even as I'm talking, I'm thinking, why didn't I go five stars on it? <laughs> but, um, it's the face like, me on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like as I said, I just loved it, and is it yeah. that's what I want from wrestling? You know, that 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 kind of match where I'm I'm drawn in and compelled from mm-hmm. bell to bell. That's what I need, and I'm kind of I'm getting to the old man stage where <laughs> I'm reject I'm rejecting a lot of uh, of things in modern wrestling, like uh, and some of the new Japan tropes and some of the new Japan new. Japan things that they do in a lot of matches I'm getting tired of whereas I find the classic formula they employed here will never ever get old uh, well you don't have to convince me Jamesy I was with you I gave it 4.75 yep. it was my joint match of the tournament with a with an Osprey match that I'll mention in a little bit but I don't know there's nothing else I can do here but just to say Joe Lemon <laughs> the floor is yours uh, Jamesy convinced uh, um, you well first of all when I listened back to the last show I actually think I come. It comes across as if I don't like the match, mm. whereas I did like the match. Oh, you gave yeah. it like four and a half, didn't you? Four point two five or something. Yeah. Four and a quarter. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Whereas I did like the match. When I listened back to it, I think I was just on my like Jay White kind of <laughs> hatred soapbox. <laughs> oh, we let so you. So I became dis- I became distracted by <laughs> my dislike for watching Jay White mm. and my dislike for just. I think I just really dislike his face and his hair as well. <laughs> It's become personal. Say <laughs> <laughs> it again. Is that not the point? But it makes me not want to watch him. Okay. So like, yeah. I think I I like so I this this is going to sound so arrogant. I think I'm past the point of faces and heels where a face heel divide is going to get me more invested in a match. The point I'm at with a match is I'm going to be more invested if I'm invested in both wrestlers. So if I've got an investment in both talents, I'm going to be therefore be more invested in what I'm watching. Whereas when I see Jay White, because I just don't buy him still, mm. and I don't think he's at that top tier at that high level, I find myself switching off and not investing in what I'm watching. So yeah, maybe, I don't know, if I was a younger lad... And I was watching him thinking, yeah, I really want Jay White to lose. But I'm not exper- I don't experience that emotion when I watch wrestling anymore. I'm watching it from a different perspective, if that makes sense. I'm not mm. watching it through like a cheer faces, boo heels sort of perspective. So 
while what I, I the thing is, Jamesy, everything you said, I don't disagree with. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're spot on. And for some people, that is going to work. I think the standard that New Japan has kind of set since I've been watching New Japan and since I've watched G1s is that we get two of the absolute top tier guys who can be almost at that point in time even be considered legends in that G1 final or potential Hall of Famers legends of the future. Mm. And I think JY, if you look through every G1 finalist since, say, 2013, for me, JY is the weakest talent in there and is the talent that I haven't enjoyed watching. Whereas everyone else who's been in the G1 final has been someone that I've been a massive fan of and have really enjoyed watching. And when I was going through my other match of the year um, rankings over the years, the G1 final since 2015 has been in sort of my top 10, if not my top five matches each year. And I think that it's the lack of him being um, a kind of, how can I put it, absolute top tier world-class wrestler that, I don't know, put me off the match to some degree because it it didn't create this, the match, the match to me didn't feel as prestigious as other G1 finals. Ibushi Tanahashi, um, Naito versus Omega, these felt like pristine matches where you've got maybe the two best guys in the world at that point in time fighting in this epic final contest, the end of this epic final tournament. And what I dislike with the white stuff is, again, you could say, isn't that the point? But it's the fact that it doesn't feel like it's what we've got used to, formula-wise, in New Japan over the Mm. past five, six years, because there is this element of him being a traditional heel in there. And what has made me invest in New Japan is the fact that I'm not watching traditional heel face wrestling in many ways yeah there are heels and faces but there are shades of gray and they play those shades of gray incredibly well and have done over the years whereas this now it's like he is the most clear-cut heel we've ever had in one of these top tier positions during that time Mm. and i just i can't get into it and i think the point you made about the interference yeah, the interference doesn't last long, but it still is a distraction no matter how long it kind of lasts in the match. And it's still something that put me off and kind of aggravated me and made my interest kind of wane a little bit in the match as well. Because to me, it's a G1 final. That isn't what a G1 final is, you know. Um, let's say a streaker comes on the pitch in a Champions League final. <laughs> It's to be expected. Is okay? Gato the streaker? Um, let's say there's interference <laughs> of WrestleMania. It's to be expected in many, right? But a G1 final, it being expected. I know that wrestling changes. I know that you've got to evolve talent and you can't have the same thing year after year. But from a personal taste standpoint, what I, what I love New Japan for is not what they're going for with JY. And I think I just resent the overpush or what I perceive as an overpush of JY because it feels like the most WWE style push of a wrestler that I've ever seen in New Japan because to me, he hasn't felt ready that whole time. And he is getting better. I will absolutely say that. And I've enjoyed his matches during the tournament, but I just don't see him as one of these sort of elite wrestlers in the world, which is what doesn't help my enjoyment of his matches because he's put in a position 
with the elites and he's put in a position almost as if he is an elite at times and yeah that's why i just i just can't invest in them i struggle with them i struggle with him overall as a character as well i'm not convinced he is the character that he is portraying to me it still feels like he is a man acting as if he is that pro wrestler and yeah there are lots of things about the presentation of him as well that i just i i'm still not with it's got better it's absolutely got better but i still don't to me it doesn't feel organic whereas everyone else who has been put in a prominent position in new japan during that time period to me has felt completely organic you look at say uh, moxley debuting in this g1 that feels like who john moxley is that feels like who john moxley should have been all along um, but then when it comes to a Jay White, I just I just can't buy it, and I can't buy the promos. I I don't like the promos. I just yeah, it, maybe it's an irrational hatred. Who knows? But it's just not for me. I wouldn't say it's a hatred. Sorry. It's a dislike. Yeah, there is a it, it annoys me to the point I when I know he's in a major match, I'm not excited. Whereas. If I know anyone else at that top tier in New Japan is in a major match against one another, let's say Akada Suzuki at the Copper Box, mm. I'm excited for that. Whereas when I went to Madison Square Garden, when Omega left, and I knew I was going to get Omega versus J- uh, sorry Akada versus JY, I was really disappointed. And I know that sounds like I'm a spoiled child <laughs> uh, because I still got to see Ibushi Naito and some other great stuff. But to me, he's Thanks not he's can. he's not an attraction. Whereas these other wrestlers are attraction wrestlers because they're the absolute elite in my mind. Mm. I can, I mean, I do get it. Go ahead, Jamesy. I do get it because um, I think, like, as I said kind of earlier, I think we all have people like that. Like, we might talk about them later a little bit uh, when we're talking about other stuff. But, um, like, to me, I feel like uh, the way you spoke there about Jay White is everything I feel about Sonata who mm-hmm. I feel is the next guy mm-hmm. who's going to get the push. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be 100% hugely surprised if Sonata's in the G1 final next year, based on how over he is and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I will feel exactly like that about a Sonata final. Like, I just feel like he shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get the guy. Um, and I just have this mental block about him. Like, and um, mm-hmm. So I do understand totally. And I think we all just have these guys that you just look at and you don't buy it. And if no. you don't buy it, then it's very hard to enjoy their matches, you know. I think the the data actually kind of backs up both here as well because like if you look at like the the grapple average ratings over the tournament, while Jay White peaks with that final match, and you know I myself I'm with James, I gave it four point seven five. The grapple average is sitting at four point six two. I think the day of it was sitting at about four point seven. But if you look at his overall tournament, it does actually it supports a little bit more what what you're saying, Joe, because like his average across the tournament is three point five two, and there's only five wrestlers who've got a worse average than that. Goto, Cobb, Taichi, Yano and Farley. And it was almost like, I think I I, I see both points because there were points where, especially that Naito match, where I was just like, yeah, Jay, Jay White is not proving himself to me. But I think the big peak at the end and arguably for me and for Jamesy, the match of the tournament was like the payoff of all that. We got shenanigans and things that dragged the match down all the way through. And yeah, the Naito match definitely should have been better. But it all kind of paid off with that big, like you said, maybe WWE even style match. That if you're not into that style, fair enough. But if you are, it was kind of worth the journey along the way. Um, but yeah, I still, for me, still went 4.75 on it. Joe uh, JP, you went four and a half on it, did you? 
That's it, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I went. I went four and a half. Oh God, I'm gonna sound like such a, I completely get all of the points being raised about it, and it's. I, I think the hope I would have with Jay White, and it ties into the idea of, of it, the next time we see him in a G1, he should be there making a point of being out there by himself mm. and going right. This is the year that I and I do it all by myself. As I think that face. would add, add a different. But that takes character progression. It depends where they want to go. The character the next That's year true. as well. And we're talking long form story, aren't we? We're talking a couple of years, the evolution of these characters along the way. And that's the thing you hope. And obviously things as age and everything else that of him developing into that top tier. And well, you have kind of embellishments of the character to kind of make it seem that because I, the future I would see for him is there is this as effectively kind of like the Joker in a sense, like in DC Comics, as someone who is effectively like an, an agent of chaos, pardon the pun. And his job is is he's maniacal, and even though there are other wrestlers who are better him in certain areas, he knows enough to be able to get around those and be able to find their weaknesses. And I think that's a better route for him to go. I can buy everyone who plays the Joker, though. Well, I can't buy Jay White. Not Jared Leto. So couldn't. No, actually, that's a point. Yeah, yeah. Suicide Squad was an abomination. But... <laughs> yeah, I don't even talk about it. It's the most disgraceful <laughs> film ever. Um, but with this, that also for me is going to mean that when he's headlining those shows from now on out, there is a kind of standard he's going to have to deliver in those matches. And I'm talking about like the, when he headlined the show against Goto in a match that was supremely dull, mm-hmm. and it was and. And I think it's those, this is going to be the real test from now on in, is there is a standard that he has kind of shown he can go to in a G1 final. Now, I'm in agreement with Joe in the sense that what I want out of a G1 final is that kind of battle of the uh, battle of the superstars, straight up wrestling match with kind of nothing in it. And that comes down as much, you know, subjective. So it's all down to personal preferences. That's the kind of thing that I like. At the same time, I, when especially going back watching it second time round, there was no stage I was bored during the match. It's like we said, Jamesy, about the early work as well and the way it played into it. He goes for the golden triangle and it's like that's the point where he takes the opportunity. Mm. And that yeah. that kind of that was a lot better from him. And thinking back to last year and thinking back to, you know, those Akada and Tanahashi matches, which were just so deathly dull when he was on offense. This is the best I've seen of, of him on that. Yeah. So the signs are there for growth. Yeah, he has improved massively, and it comes across as if I I don't enjoy him one bit. I enjoy the matches sometimes, but I just think it's the framing of him that I have a problem yeah. with, and it's the context of watching him in where he is in that top tier with those guys, but I think he's pushed above the level of his ability. Mm. But that G1 final... It wasn't my favourite Jay White match ever. That would go to the Osprey anniversary match, which was Osprey versus a broom, essentially. <laughs> That's harsh. That is harsh, I know. But from a performance point of view, it was the best performance I've ever seen from Jay White in a match. There is no denying that. I also thought he was very good, as James said before, in that Juice Robinson match. Yeah, yeah. But the Juice Robinson match is a match that expectations are lower. Mm. And in that almost like, upper mid-card match, maybe an IC title match, you might say, never title match, you kind of accept that standard at that point during a G1. Whereas for me, the final, as I've already said, is established as this 
high, high, high level, the, the best of what this profession mm. is, if anything. And for me, he just isn't that. Mm. Fair. I mean, yeah, I think the, the Jay White kind of discussion, I think we're kind of split 50-50 across the podcast, I think. I've... Have we established that he's a Marmite wrestler in many ways? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> he really is. Yeah, he I, definitely I, is. I think, I mean... I'm I, trying to think of someone else who's mm, as Marmite. No. Or has been in the last few years. I, I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Best comparisons are like a Roman Reigns or a John Cena, aren't they? Like, that's the... Almost the kind of wrestler he is as well. Yeah, to some extent. Um, and I like Reigns and I like Cena. I don't think, you know... Uh, top tier by any means, but they've been in good matches over the years with the right opponents. I think the other thing I should say as well, I do like matches of interference, but it depends on what the match is. So if, I don't know, a WrestleMania main event has interference that makes sense and it's been based around the feud going into the match, Hmm. I'm fine with that. But it's the G1 final, as I'm going to keep stating over and over again. And that's why I didn't like the interference. Fair enough. I mean... I suppose the question is then, I mean, me and Jamesy both, like we said, that that's pretty much my match of the tournament, although I've got it tied with something else. Uh, Joe, JP, did either you give uh, anything else for 0.75? And if so, what was your match of the tournament? And I'm guessing it didn't involve Jay White. Yeah, I gave... Uh, no. Um, it's going to take a long time, I think, for that to happen. <laughs> um, so my favourite match of the tournament was Naito versus Shingo which I went three, uh, 4.75 on, and I gave Osprey versus Okada 4.75 as well. Interesting. How about JP? He's putting the kids to bed. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'll take over that. Well, I, I, it's interesting that, because like, if you look at like the, the grapple, kind of the, the graphic that Gareth put out earlier in the week, the outright front runners, and it's switched one, two, and three, but it's been that Okada Osprey match that you mentioned. It's been Shingo and Ishii, and it's been Jay White and Kota Ibushi. Um, and Dave Meltzer's ratings pretty much reflect that as well. He gave them 5.5, 5.5, and 5.75 for Okada Osprey. I was actually quite surprised, to be honest, because I personally, I preferred the Osprey Tanahashi match. I think maybe it was just, maybe the bell to bell, you know, being honest. Maybe you could give, you could pip it with with Osprey Okada over Osprey Tanahashi, but I think I was just so much more emotionally invested in Osprey Tanahashi, despite the fact it meant nothing. There were no points at stake. It was more just a a reputation thing that Osprey was gonna go over. And for me, that was the other match that I gave four point seven five. And and that thing, just looking at the grapple list, I mean, Meltzer gave it four point seven five, but from Meltzer, that's basically three stars at this point, uh, which we'll go <laughs> through a bit later. But the grapple average is four point four seven. So you know, I'm obviously the high man on that, but. Uh, I mean, Jamesy, did you come closer on on Osprey Tanahashi or, or Osprey Okada, or or are you another one that Shingo and Ishii is kind of coming up the rear as far as giving competition to Jay White and Kota Ibushi? No, my my number two match at the tournament was was Tanahashi Osprey. Um, mm. I, I I gave it four and a half. As I said, my, the only one I had at four point seven five was the final. I gave it four and a half, um, and I I just thought it was a great match. I think it had more depth to the Tanahashi to the Osprey 
Cadamatch mm. and the other ones that you've mentioned there. Um, again, I liked that there was some legwork in there. I think Osprey is a guy who, who doesn't get credit for his ability to sell. Like, I think some people still kind of have him pigeonholed as a, a kind of a brainless high flyer who doesn't think about his wrestling and that kind of thing. Like, but he sold his leg very well in this. Um, he, it was the most on point in a match I've seen Osprey all year. He was just completely on the ball. This was a snap about everything he was doing. That hook kick that he hit Tanahashi with towards the end was just nailed it perfectly on point. And like it, it was the result I probably celebrated the most in the whole tournament. Like um, I was just like when he won, I was just punching the air like I was just you know, I, I was involved. I was emotionally involved in it. And I think it's a great sign for how they see Will Ospreay. I think anybody who finishes a G1 tournament well, when they maybe get a big win in the last couple of nights, they're the guys you should earmark for getting the big push in the years to come, because I, I think mm. he's going to get pushed to the moon and stars in the next few years. Yeah. One of the things I would say, I see that was a really good common theme, I think, is that a lot of wrestlers finished very well in this tournament. And I think that's one of the things when we were reflecting back on the tournament as a whole and going through individual wrestlers, a lot of people managed to finish the tournament very well. Um, yeah, I've got, it's strange. I've, I've only got one four, uh, four and three quarter star match and that's a card or Osprey. That was the only one I, I went with. And then I've kind of got a run of matches at four and a half. Mm. And it's funny before it's before grapple, I never really did star ratings. Now I use it as effectively like a um, repository. It's where I find out if I want to see what I've rated matches. And then I kind of, I use that as like the shorthand to go to, to have a look and, and see what, what I've given out. So what I think of as five stars, it's almost like, and I'm sure we've all done this. It's like inverse to what Meltzer does, <laughs> where it's like five stars at this point is kind of got to be wrestling perfection. And I'm not even quite sure what that means in and of itself. But and I, and I think that's one of the big sort of like we were saying this earlier on and 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 looking at a lot of these ratings, there is like in terms of the variance, I wouldn't disagree with a whole lot of the ones that are in the the top ten list mm. um, that are there. I think there's a it's it's one of the more interesting aspects of of using the app is is being able to kind of see generally where where the consensus is, there'll always be outliers in, in what people put on there down as much to personal preference. But it does suggest as well that, you know, the high end quality that, that they've managed to deliver in this. And, and when I'm looking back at like my, my match of the year at the moment is actually still Shingo Osprey. Yeah. Yet, it's the same for me as well. It, it's, it's that for me, I, I went five stars on. Mm. I was just completely in love with that match. And it might have been the fact as well, it was main event, like in Sumo Hall for the, you know, the, for the winners of a tournament. So it had as much to that as well. Um, it felt like both guys were being elevated by being in that position yeah, in Sumo is. Hall as well, yeah. I think. So the and occasion kind of, yeah, was part yeah. of it, if anything. And I think so. And I think for the most part, everyone had at least one really good performance in there. As well, obviously, with Jeff Cobb. I was going to say, exactly yeah, I was going to say, with the exception of Cobb and Farley. Bad luck, Farley did a good job of running slowly in the Zack Sabre Jr. match. I'll give him that. <laughs> but he did the belting job of that. But he method acting, looking puffed out. He's like <laughs> Dustin Hoffman in the marathon there. <laughs> Bad luck, Farley's average on grapple is 2.37 in a G1. 
Like he somehow managed to do that. Like he he like Gareth put a a graphic together the other day. He managed to drag down anyone who had a match with Bad Luck Farley. It was automatically at least one point five nine stars worse as far as the average goes. And it's only really Yano that comes close to dragging people down that much. And Yano's got his own scale anyway, so he doesn't really count. But yeah, I think uh, yeah Farley has got to be the big exception to that rule, JP. Oh, he is, and. I hope this is the last year. I'm very fearful of where they're going with this this idea of him getting quick roll-up pins out of anywhere. As yeah. in some sort of oh. other added element of danger. I heard. What was that? Oh, fuck knows. Why? Why? <laughs> Why bother? And I'm and like you, James, I like I kind of when I think of that WWE push, the one that's the Sonata one is the one I'm kind of more fearful of mm, as yeah. much at this point because I can see them sticking with that for a really long time because of his popularity with Japanese audience. Call that a WWE push. Because I think that would be he's been there for years oh. and it's like a gradual building of a personality. In terms of as WWE it's like you said earlier, as WWE as they get. Mm. With yeah, their, with their I don't know if I'd go with that because I think no. with the Jay White one, and sorry to distract from what we're talking about, it's more here's a guy pushed straight away, mm. pushed to the moon. Think about when they brought in Seamus and pushed him to the moon immediately <laughs> and he beat John Cena within a few months, or when they brought Drew McIntyre in first time round and Kevin Owens. He, yeah, I suppose to some extent. Cena on he, his first night, remember? But then he was kind of, he, he, that didn't last, didn't sustain. It lasted about three months, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Kevin Owens really backed it up during that run as well. We say Seamus didn't back it up. Mm. And for me, Jay White, sorry to go back to this, <laughs> didn't back it up in that first year when they went with the push. And I think that's why I've had a kind of long-term problem with it. I think WWE pushed a lot of guys to set them up for Cena. So they pushed Rusev. He lost to Cena. He went down the card. They pushed Bray Wyatt. He lost to Cena. He went down the card. They brought in Kevin Owens. They gave him a super push. He then lost two matches to Cena, went down the card. It was kind of like a, mm. a sort of your Cena's guy in the way that Hogan had guys brought in for him in the 80s, mm. if anything. But sorry to distract from what we were talking about. <laughs> well, if, if we had a structure to this, we'd be in big, big trouble. Oh, yeah. It's, it's in tatters already. Uh, but no, no, you... yeah, We're going to be going all over the fucking <laughs> shop. Two hours to Just go get last. ready for some random New Japan thoughts for the next... <laughs> Well, I mean, to, to bring it on top of it a little bit, I mean, we, you know, talking our our top matches of the tournament. Um, I mean, mm. you know, Okada, Osprey, Shingo, Ishii, Jay White, Ibushi, like I say, uh, dominated Melters, dominated the the grapple average, and pretty much dominated what we're talking about there with a shout out to our Osprey Okada as well. But I mean, as far as that that kind of that top ten goes, Shingo Naito's in there, Ibushi Osprey's in there, a match that happened. Oh, I was trying to put my top five together today and it didn't occur to me till last thing because it was day five and because so much has happened mm-hmm. since then, a match like that can kind of get lost uh, in the discussion. I mean, I gave that four and a half at the time and there's only uh, seven matches I gave four and a half all the way throughout the tournament. So, you know, that is one that should stand out. I mean, it's on my honourable mentions. I mean, I think another big one for me is uh, is Moxley and Ishii. That's one that maybe I gave it four and a half. I don't think I could have justified giving it 4.75. But as as far as a match that was different and, and just 
yeah, offered something that none of the other matches were. It offered Ishii coming off the top rope and going through a table, so that tells you everything about that match. That really stood out for me. I mean, uh, whoever wants to take it, the floor is yours. Uh, maybe Jamesy first. What what else is there that kind of from the maybe the the top matches in the tournament that that you think are, are notable that uh, worth at least bringing up? Yeah, like you mentioned something there, Ben, about matches being different, and I'm looking at my top ten, and I actually I feel like. I gravitated towards matches that were different to everything else and that kind of strayed away from the New Japan formula. Like at number four, it's probably will be a surprise to a lot of people. I had um, the Kenta and Zack Sabre Jr. match. Mm, I really to, me, that. To, to me, that, that was, was amazing. Good. Yeah, that was really good. It was it was almost like a battle arts match. Like mm. there was just it was just strikes and, and grappling and like you know anyone who knows me as a wrestling fan, that's right up my alley. Like in terms of uh, of the kind of stuff I'm into. Um, and I suppose the other one that I would have that very few people will have is the one I talked about on the last Grapple podcast, the Moxley Shingo match, mm. where Moxley went after the leg oh, and Shingo yeah. sold it so well. Um, and actually at number ten I had Lance Archer and Will Osprey, the very first match of the tournament again. Like I know yeah, I know I it that. seems like months. Ago at this point, if that happened, but um, I, I kind of wanted to include that because yeah. it, you know, not only was it a great match, it, it set the tone for the for the whole tournament. It 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 made us realise that that Lance Ar- like. You know, I think we a lot of us kind of half dreaded Lance Archer in this tournament when his name was on the sheet. Mm. But like that was the turning point. Like Will Ospreay, you know, had you know killed himself to get him over. But but mm. Archer did his bit in that match as well. So I felt like that one deserved to make the top ten as well. Yeah, that's the one four point two five match that's squeaked into my top ten, and it's my pick of the letter for mm. those four point two five matches because it yeah. really set the tone yeah. of the tournament for me. That was the first yeah. match where it was like, all right, we're into the G one now. Let's go. Um, it's time. Uh, I don't know, Joe JP. Uh, what are your kind of uh, notable matches uh, from uh, from yours that maybe aren't your number one or two, but should definitely be uh, discussed and uh, and I must watch. I would agree with Archer Osprey. Um, that was one. It's really strange because I've there's matches I've given higher ratings to, but in in a weird way, I'd almost say I've been enjoyed them less, or I certainly remember them less mm. than a lot of the Archer matches, like we said earlier on about his matches feeling like events. Mm. And so the ones I would I would put in there, Yano Moxley, in terms of like... Oh, it was so entertaining. Pe- that broke the scale, didn't Yano. it, James? It, yeah. It, it, it went above the three stars, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was absolutely transfixed throughout the entirety of it. And it's partly down to like the mechanics of, I wonder how Moxley's going to want to do this match. And clearly you could tell afterwards and even with the interview that he had the time of his life out there doing it. So those are two matches that I would say. And actually another one um, that I, I really enjoyed, Evil Kota Ibushi. And that was very early on as well. And I've been slightly higher on Evil in this tournament. But that was a that was a match that I can remember watching quite early on and I was, I was quite into. Yeah, I think that was day three, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think for me... Uh, one one of them, and uh, I'm not his biggest fan, but Sonada Akada for me mm. uh, was a sorry Sonada's best performance I've ever seen in ring, uh, and I really liked the actual story and the way they used the time limit as almost a tool within mm. the within the match as well, within the structure of the match. Um, I thought that the Akada formula worked during that match as well, and it was there for a reason, and it worked within that reason and there were layers to the match in terms of Sonada and Okada's history as well 
and how long it took Sonata to beat Okada and how it sort of was timed perfectly. I thought that was very good. Uh, Tanahashi Ibushi, I thought was a great mm-hmm. match. Um, it wasn't meant to be a rematch of their classic last year, mm. but in terms of it being a match that got Ibushi over and furthered him as a legitimate guy who could go on and win this by overcoming his foe from last year mm. and doing it convincingly in 15 minutes, I thought was great. And it was also a match that elevated Ibushi while paring down Tanahashi and his kind of position within this G1. And it felt like kind of a turning point as a sort of functional match within the tournament. But the actual body of the match and the work was great in that match as well, at showing Tanahashi as kind of falling down that little bit and not being able to go at that level, but also establishing Ibushi as someone who could put someone like a Tanahashi away in 15 minutes. I thought that was a great match. Um, Goto Shingo as well yeah. was a match that I absolutely loved. I think I went 4.25 on that and was considering going higher at points. I think as far as Shingo's higher matches go during the tournament, this might be the one along with the Moxie match that Jamesy mentioned that kind of gets forgotten about, I think, because the Ishii match and the Naito match were just so good during the tournament. So for me, those matches, and then there are just a few Lance Archer matches that I'd throw in there as well. There's mm. a match of Okada, I thought was great. Um, and they're 10 minutes as well. They're not like they're hard watches. You don't have to go through half an hour for Lance Archer. It's and That's kind of what makes them fun. Yeah, Tanahashi match, Lance Archer, I thought was really good as well. He was just someone who was thoroughly entertaining throughout the tournament and put in a good performance every single night. I don't think I don't think Lance Archer coasted once during that tournament. Even him and Farley was entertaining for what it was. Mm. Yeah, I think he definitely had Farley's best match. Um, and there's something to be said for that for standing out, isn't it? Because we're, we're listing all our matches of the tournament and not... Okada Tanahashi happened in this tournament, lads. Like, remember? Like, yeah. <laughs> th- that was one that didn't really stand out for me. I didn't even consider even putting... I don't think I had it in my honourable mentions either as far as matches go. I think, yeah, there's something to be said for, for being a Lance Archer. And you're as big a fan of him as, as we've been, Jamesy. And maybe standing out by being different rather than just having... You know, it's like Evil and Sonata are all over Meltzer's picks. Uh, but I don't think they're all over ours because I, I just can't deal with their matches anymore. But I, I'll take a Lance Archer over those lads anytime. Yeah, well, well if, if ever a guy was given an opportunity who maybe wasn't expected to get it, and I, I don't know, was he kind of given the opportunity because he did a lot of the promotion for the US show in Dallas and that kind of thing. But like, if ever a guy showed up and grabbed an opportunity with two hands, and like in my mind, you you look at him and then you look at Jeff Cobb. And you have mm. you have Archer who came out there determined to work his ass off every night. Like he, he, the minute he came out from behind the curtain, you could tell he was here to work. He was here to have a good match. You know, there, there was just a, an energy about him and an enthusiasm about him. And then you look at Cobb, like, and it was just he was so lifeless and oh. lacking in charisma and lacking in. He's got to be done. Surely, yeah, lacking in enthusiasm, like, you know, like, this is the G1 climax, the biggest opportunity of his career. And like, he, he just seemed to let it pass him by, you know. Mm. And um, so, yeah, like, I'm completely aboard the Lance Archer train. I, I, I'll be very upset if he's not in the G1 climax next year. And like, I'm hoping that he gets a push out of this. Like, like I think he could be a great US champion down the line, you know, or, mm. you know, uh, or definitely to become the big guy in the tournament that Fale was in the past, the kind of a roadblock and the guy who 
he can beat a kind of one of the top names. If you need a top name to lose on the second last night, yeah. people buy Lance Archer beating an Okada, say, on, on, on the second last night to, to kind of bring him down or something, you know. So, mm. uh, yeah, like, great. I'm just so happy for Lance Archer as well. Delighted for him. And, you know, as I said, the, the, just the contrast with Jeff Cobb is just very, very stark, I think. Mm. Yeah, we'll have to get that interview yeah. with you, JP. Yeah. You and Lance Oit, sitting down, we can talk as G1. <laughs> I was thinking, there will be just other thing. There'll be a TNA <laughs> to talk about. There will be a hell of a lot. That that'll be all we talk about. Then forget. He did well in G one. Bye. That's it. Finish it off there. Um, I think I wonder out of this Archer's possibility as a draw, and just looking because of those of those Japanese crowds. I know, for example, now if he was over here doing those for Red Pro, and I'm hoping to God he's coming over. Mm. I'm like excited to see him. I've seen him before against Jern Simmons. Great. It certainly wasn't on this G1. Level. Do you remember uh, we just uh, why have they put that? That's got no relevance to Rev Pro at all. Mm. That's just a match. Whereas now, if he was booked, I'd be like, yes. Not against Jern Simmons. I think he's shite. But <laughs> against anyone else, yeah. I'd be well happy with a bit of Lance yeah. Archer. Curtis Chapman? Oh, yes, please. Oh, he'd kill him. Michael Oku? Oh, Michael Oku would be... Um, Bowden. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it'll destroy Bowden. He'll get, the, he'll get see that how, See how Bowden tries and winds him. <laughs> Say it again. He'll get the claw on, which is inexplicably... That's another thing. He got he got a claw over, so, you know, if he can do claw, that, you'll have a good tournament. Yeah, I could see him wrapping that on Bowden in the cockpit. I'd enjoy that. Mm. But, I mean, yeah, he's... Like you said, James, you said... Sorry, I was just going to say, him being US champion seems like... He'd be perfect for, for going after Juice. That could be a really interesting yeah, you go, gets yeah. good mileage out of that. I think Never as well. I could yeah. see his style suits that kind of Never sort of title style. This would be Ishii. Hmm. But I think him and Ishii would be a great match at some point for mm. the Never belt if they wanted to do that. Oh, I'll take it, definitely. Uh, I mean... And just, oh, go on, JP. I was going to say one... Last thing, do you think there's a, there's an interesting thing in this? We talked about how the match is overall, and, and I think one of the comments I think that often came out of this tournament is that was a really good match. They could have a better match time. If nothing else, they have some really great rematches mm. as a result of they always do, and they always do. the booking strategy is yeah. for the and that's having seen what the market leader managed to achieve with the resources they have. And here you've got like four rematches. Well, Seth and Brock Lesnar didn't face one another at WrestleMania, but didn't know if he could slay the beast, remember? Even they had beast killer after WrestleMania. So, yeah. Remember that? I, I, yeah. yeah. I was going to say as well on the subject of Jeff Cobb, I'd say I've really missed this year when I think about it. And I was going through my match of the year list for 18 and 17. Michael Elgin, mm. honestly, yeah. I think Much Michael Elgin gets a lot of shit because people on Twitter don't like Michael Elgin. Some idiot leaked some text messages and told a load of lies, and who knows? I won't get into that. Uh, but that put people off thinking Michael Elgin was a good wrestler. Michael Elgin had some absolutely cracking matches in these G1s over the years. I was looking at my 2017 list. He's all over it for his matches. I, Elgin, I think, is a superior wrestler to Cobb and stepped it up at G1 every year. And clicks guys are there as well. I remember having great matches with Okada, a couple of great matches of Omega in there. Well, Ishii. Yeah, Ishii. Ishii. 
there was a great Yoshi Hashi. I remember having a good match with even like, yeah, Jesus indeed. But yeah, I've missed Michael Elgin this year. And as much as his kind of brand is due to silly messages and other reasons, I I wouldn't rule out him coming back next year and taking Cobb's place. I wouldn't be against that. Mm, I'd take it. Definitely over Jeff Cobb. Um, but I mean, we should probably like I mean tie that in. I mean, I think Jeff Cobb's one of the the weaker performers this G one. But you know, other than mm-hmm. you know Lance Archer, who we've talked the, the virtues of, like who are our, our MVPs for this for this G one? Who are our, our, our top guys, oh, as it were? Um, so for me, I think there's no one who I would say particularly stands out head and shoulders above the mm. rest. I think there have been years where say 2016 2017 i think omega stood out um, mm. above the rest if anything um last year i think you could argue with bushi stood out above the rest this year for me i would i've got a top three in no particular order i'd go osprey shingo and ishii as my top three mm. um i think that each of them have delivered something to note most of the time um, I think they've been in high-end matches. Ishii is just the most painfully consistent wrestler I think there maybe has ever been mm. in terms of what he does night in and night out and what we've just come to expect and almost take for granted from Ishii. You think he's been in G1 since 2013 now, and he's probably been in the top three for the last, God, however however long. For me, last year he might have been the MVP mm. when I think back. Um, but I think Osprey and Shingo, as kind of guys who are fresh to this tournament and really had to kind of impress mm. in this tournament as well. And have almost gone the journey throughout the tournament in terms of the booking of, of them as well, to some degree. But you look at the variety of matches they've had. For me, my top two G1 matches involve Osprey and Shingo. Naito Shingo number one, Osprey Okada at number two. And then just down from that, I've got Osprey and Tanahashi and Osprey and Ibushi. Oh to kind of round out the rest of a list, if anything. And then there's Shingo, Ishii just below that. So for me, it's it's those three in no particular order. Mm. I think Shingo might be... He's probably my... I'd say Osprey's my favourite wrestler in the world at the moment. Shingo's probably my second favourite. He's certainly my second favourite this year. Um, I hadn't seen a lot of Shingo for years. I'm not into Dragon Gate. Whereas 10 years ago when Shingo did his bit in Ring of Honor... And he was around a few different places and he was over here a little bit as well. I thought he was great. Really didn't think of him too much over the years. And in the last year or so since he's been back in New Japan, my God, has he been a revelation. And he's freshened up the roster, if anything. Mm-hmm. He's given a different ingredient. Uh, he rest, he gives a sort of different style of match night to night as well. And I think he's going to take that Ishii spot at some point in terms of his consistency, but also in terms of the style of match he's going to deliver. He's just been an absolute revelation this year, and I didn't see it coming. Mm. Yeah, I'm with that. I think uh, Ishii, Osprey, and Jingo are the guys for me. Looking at the the grapple averages, Ishii's got a 4.2 average. Okada's actually joint with Osprey at 4.05. Shingo's not far behind with 3.95. I could mix and match the order there, to be honest. Uh, I'm not so sure on Okada being so high, but what about you, Jamesy? Would you join the Shingo loving? Is he your man for the tournament, or is it one of those other three? Because I'm not sure it's going to be anyone else. 
Yeah, but actually, uh, my top three are, I have Osprey and I have mm. Shingo. I have Ishii slightly below them, but, but the guy I have at number two in between, I have Osprey one, and right up there, I think he's had an incredibly underrated tournament, is actually Zack Sabre Jr. Oh, wow. Um, I've just loved every match he had, really. Um, he was super consistent throughout the whole tournament. Like, I think he had, um, he had nothing below 3.5 on my ratings. Um, he had five matches over four stars. He had Fale's best match. He had Kenta's best match. He has three matches in my top 10. Um, if you average out my star ratings, he's actually got the highest average of all. Um, so for me, just just like he had been having a kind of a quiet year up till now, but I just found myself just loving his tournament, loving his stuff out of the ring. Um, and yeah, as I said, probably someone that a lot, a lot of people thought of as highly, but just for me, I just loved every match he had. And, and I've always been a big Zach guy. Like I, I, myself and Benno would have had a conversation very recently on mm. the BWE. We're talking about the top two Brits ever. And I still... Mm just out of pure favoritism towards Zach would have him number one. Um, so maybe it's just, I, I have a particular bias towards him, but I, I just thought he had an outstanding tournament. And, and just to say on Shingo, um, like that guy, can you think of a wrestler in the world who has a more complete set of attributes than Shingo? Mm. Like he's just a thoroughbred of a wrestler. Like, like his strikes are phenomenal. His speed, like he has the speed of a cruiserweight. Like he, he spent the majority of his career in Dragon Gate where you have to be fast to keep up with those guys, you know, his speed across the ring. His stamina, like, I mean, his, I remember, like Alan Forel is a massive fan of Shingo Takagi. And I remember the day Takagi was announced in New Japan, he was raving about the prospect of a Shingo Takagi in a G1 Climax because he said that the engine that this guy has, like like his ability to, to, to have brilliant matches night in, night out, like he finished the tournament at such a pace, like his, it's like everyone else was slowing down and everyone else was knocked up and injured, knocked about and injured and that kind of thing. And Shingo was just having, you know, there wasn't a bother on him, like still having great matches. Was it the Goto match he had at the very end there? Mm. Um just a, a thoroughbred of a wrestler, like, and, and and like, you know, we're coming towards the end of 2019. Has to be up there as a guy who's wrestler of the decade, like, a great wrestler. Mm. How about you, JP? Uh, do you know what? I mean, he says a lot about this tournament that I wouldn't disagree with the general top threes of, uh, you know, Osprey yeah. being in there, Ishii being in there, Shingo being in there. Have really loved Zack Sabre Jr.'s work. I suppose this is the interesting thing about MVP is kind of what is the overall expe expectation from it. Because in some ways last year, the, the person who I thought was kind of the MVP, and this is where the records of G1s are kind of misleading, was last year was Yuji Nagata who lost all of his matches. That's the year before. Sorry, the year before. Uh, 2017. Yeah. yeah. And then Yuji and I loved that story of what they, were, yeah. what, they were, what they were telling with him. And for me, he was like the MVP, given his kind of age and what the expectancy was. So I'm going to mention a couple of other names. Someone we haven't mentioned, it seems incredible. John Moxley. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We barely mentioned him. He wouldn't have been someone I would have even had up on there. But what I for what I expected, as mm. opposed to what he ended up delivering, he massively overachieved for me. Mm. Um, I'd also like to... Um, 
raised Lance Archer again mm. as being sort of like a slightly different MVP of someone who's just kind of exploded and and I think he'd be in my top five. Yeah, I think yeah. just from a pure and not even take stars out of it. Yeah, but my expectancy of matches and the enjoyment I got out of a match, mm. he would probably yeah. he probably round out the top five. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. And I think in this case, there's, there's decent arguments for about six people. Yeah. yeah, and the other one to mention as well would would be Kota Ibushi, who probably has had... I mean, I've seen him have better matches within G1s, mm. but in terms of that solidification of him being a guy, the like, mm. the potential of being came, the guy... Came in with an injury as well, we think. Yeah. Unless he's working. Uh, <laughs> I think he's had a more conservative tournament as a result of that, which is mm. fine. And, and, it's, and it's been effective. Yeah. Same with Osprey. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt. And it's, it's good that they're doing that in many ways as well. Mm. Hopefully we get more years out of them. I don't think Ibushi's had as kind of like out, an outstanding tournament mm. as he had last year, mm. but he's had an as effective tournament, yep. if anything. And is he? are we all kind of in agreement? I mean, even though I hadn't picked him in my pickings to win, the fact that Kota Ibushi winning a G1 feel, felt right to me. Yeah, I, did, I didn't like, believe it right until the last second that they pulled the trigger on it, but it felt as right yeah. as it felt for me for Naito to crash out. Mm. I can see Joe's point of maybe the year before as perhaps being the kind of possibly at that yeah, peak for it, but at the same time. I, I, for me, I just wanted him to go over like one of the top tier, absolute top tier established New Japan guys yeah. rather than rather than Jay White. Yeah. Imagine if he'd have gone over, say, an Omega in a final. Imagine the sheer emotion of him going over Omega in a final or a Tanahashi repeat match or something. I think but my expectation and what I want from it isn't the same as what, say, Jamesy, for example, wanted from it, and the match worked for him. Um, I wanted to go back to the point you made about Akada, if that's all right, Benno. Yeah. Because um, for me, when I look at my ratings of the tournament, Akada is up there. Mm. But I think one of the problems is the a lot of the Akada matches use and employ the same formula. He does occasionally put spins on that formula and use it in slightly different ways for slightly different purposes, like against Sonada. He had a completely different match against Lance Archer, even against Zack Sabre Jr. this year. Um, and then he will use it effectively against an Osprey, where it is that traditional formula, go mad at the end, evil as well was kind of that. But I think with Akada, we almost forget how incredible he is at times because we're so used to it. Mm. Whereas, say, Shingo, Osprey, um, even Lance Archer, they're like our shiny new toys. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, as much as I've enjoyed playing with my new Optimus Prime, I'm probably going to return to that fluffy football that I always love playing with more than any other toy <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> what an awful analogy that was. I love it. I think it makes sense. It's like when you play football but, on the yeah. street and you've got the, your, your, your favourite flyaway. I get it. Oh, this was football in the conservatory at the back of our house. Oh, Cracking okay. fluffy football this was, yeah. Last of a year, from about the age of nine to like, probably about 14, to be honest with you. Maybe even 15, sneaky kick around in the conservatory. Didn't break <laughs> anything. No, nah, it was. We used to just smash that conservatory. Was a shithole. We didn't build it. We moved <laughs> in. And it was there, and for years they attended them getting it knocked down. So they, they didn't really care. We would just smash the ball at all sorts. It, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> the Improved by footwork out there, mate. 
<laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, I was well, one thing I did want to ask you about Joe though, like is on the on the Moxley point. Like that was something you said, wasn't it? That Moxley needed to have a big tournament here, and he needed to kind of prove that he can go at this level. Did he satisfy you on that point? He definitely did. Me, he was an outsider for me, like JP said, as as far as a. Uh, you know, having the best tournament out of people. I think he finished pretty much, you know, upper mid table as far as in in grapple averages. But as far as memorable matches, again, his EC match, his Naito match, his Yano match, uh, they were all they were among like the, the the matches that when I think about this G one, I'm going to think about and I'm going to be thinking for a long time about him in uh, him and poor shooter. We've got a a question about that coming up when we get to people's questions. He's definitely going to stick out for me as uh, I don't think I'd say it's the Moxley G one, but he's definitely one of the the, the higher listed cast on the cast of characters for me uh, this time out. And yeah, did he uh, did he do it for your overall job? Yeah, I really wanted to be proven wrong, and he proved me wrong, well and truly. I I loved him throughout the tournament. Every match he had was worth watching for one reason or another. Even his short, kind of like seven, eight-minute matches that he had during the tournament were fun. I love that Goto match. Mm. There was like yeah. eight minutes of them just yeah. smashing each other. That was great. Uh, he channeled his intensity more so than I've ever seen him channel it before. And it sort of shows that if you're enjoying what you're doing and you're getting something out of it, you're going to improve. <laughs> mm. And he's really fit in with the style, but also he's brought something unique with his own style to the tournament as well, which I think has been great. There are standout matches that he's had. He's probably had the matches of his life throughout this tournament, with the Ishii one being the highlight. The Juice Robinson match he had as well, I went 4.25 on that. I thought that was an absolutely yeah, awesome match. Yeah, great match. Really, really good match. You know what? Another match that's just come to mind that I forgot, Juice Robinson Ishii. That was a spectacular match as well. Um, we didn't mention that. We were talking about sort of hidden gems earlier. But yeah, Moxley, in terms of coming into form and finding himself at exactly the right time, it, it was awesome. I really hope that when he goes to AEW and he's working there full time, he's not just doing the kind of garbagey stuff he was doing with Joey Janela on that AEW show. And I hope he's doing a bit more of this. Even little things like what he's wearing in AEW with those shite trousers. Get these trunks on. Get your ASICs on. Oh, I like on. the trousers. I like the look. Oh, mate, I think they're awful. Terrible look. I think the the trunks, the ASICs, you know, he's channeling the spirit of Andre Konchelskis, as I said before, <laughs> in his ASICs. Like, good work, that man. Keep it up. Uh, anything on Moxley, James Lee, or anyone else you want to mention? Uh, well, I think Joe pretty much nailed it on Moxley. Like, uh, just, just uh, to see a man liberated and revitalized by by being in such a kind of a challenging environment you know what i mean and yeah just a breath of fresh air to the tournament um i, I you know and again i'm all for people being different in new japan and people being unique and like he's certainly that you know and more than anything I think the range and variety of, of of work that he did, like, you know, he had that that match that I keep raving about with Shingo with the limb work. Um, he can do mat wrestling. He can do the brawling like he did against Shingo. And then when the time comes to do comedy, which is nearly a dirty word for, for John Moxley, he has a brilliant comedy match with Toriano, you know. Mm. So, and the way he got over instantly, literally the first time he walked out in New Japan and came through the crowd, he was over. 
you know what I mean? Like that guy is an absolute superstar. And like Joe hinted at there, like I kind of want him to stay away from AEW and just be full time in New Japan because I feel like I feel like in New Japan he 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 fits in and he has a niche there and a role. I feel like he's a superstar in Japan. And like you said, Joe, like I don't really want to see him doing the kind of I wouldn't mind him doing an out and out death match as such, but doing these kind of halfway house garbage brawls with. You know, I, 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 I just like that's what he was, and look at look at what we 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 now know that he is like the, the you know the varied worker that he is in New Japan. So, yeah, brilliant. But as I said, like, and it's just amazing that we're literally listing everyone in the tournament, and we can talk about them having, you know, bar maybe five or six names. There are good things about their tournament that you can kind of take from it, you know, and, and that's that's the that's how well it's booked. Everybody gets something in the G one, you know. Mm. Yeah, even if you're a even Taiji stepped it up. Mm. Taichi, Absolutely, yeah. that, that Ishii match was phenomenal. Yeah, that's what yeah. we're all going to remember for Taichi, aren't we, for this tournament? He, yeah. had, so, he did have some stinkers, but when he when he brought oh, he it did, on, yeah. he turned he did turn it on. And he's he's really over. Mm. That's yeah. the kind of crazy thing with him is he seems to be really over with some of those some of those audiences. Mm. Definitely, yeah. He had the memorable tournament. I thought, you know, Kenta is someone we haven't really mentioned, but I thought he had a just from a story point of view, having him come mm. out. You know, out the blocks, getting lots of wins and then falling near the end. And it, you know, trust Gado pays off because in the end it gives him, you know, motivation for this big turn. I mean, I'm so into Kenta now. I'm glad he's got a featured master at Royal Quest now against Ishii. I'm excited for that. Uh, yeah, I don't really think there's yeah. anyone in the tournament who I'm, I'm not excited about, aside from maybe Bad Luck Farley. I mean, that was actually going to be another question, but it's probably redundant as far as worst guy and worst match. I think we're all agreeing it's Farley, aren't we? And it's a pick him as far as first yeah. matches, for worst Oof. match. So I think the worst rating I gave all tournament was 1.5 for Farley Evil. Don't remember a thing about it, but it was Farley <laughs> Evil, so I, I stand by that rating. Could have gone Farley Osprey Sonata. Farley. Could have gone, yeah, Osprey, Osprey Farley. Ibushi, yeah. Okada, he had bad matches with all of them. Um, yeah, I don't think there's there's no argument there. I know some people might have said Tai Chi in, in other years. Some people might say Yano if they're not in for the style, but I think it's a it's a one man race there, isn't it? To the bottom with uh, with yeah. If you're looking at worst main event match, uh, Tai Chi Naito, I would say, which main evented like one of the earlier nights. That was a shocker. Like it mm. wasn't good at all. I think I went like two and a half stars for a G1 main event. Shocking. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Can we talk about Naito, actually? Because um, Mm, we're talking about MVPs. We haven't mentioned Naito much. Like, we've talked all talked about our favourite matches. Not many Naito matches have been mentioned. We've all, we've listed nearly everyone in the tournament as as Mm. having had good moments. I think Naito's had a very poor tournament. Like, in terms of my list, I have him at 14th. And the guys below him are your Cobbs and your Gotos and your Taichis and that kind of thing. Um, And like, you know, there's an awful lot of angry people online and on Twitter about Naito losing again in the, in the block final and Naito not getting to main event the Tokyo Dome. What has that guy done in the last 18 months to two years to deserve top billing in the company? Mm. If you actually look back at his last two years or even this year, like, oh, you know, the, the, the Shingo match was phenomenal. That was his one match that like if I was saying to people recommend me the night on mm. matches from this G1 the only one I'd say is the Shingo match and that's Shingo who was killing it with everybody you know like but I think Naito is you know he's a lot of people say he, he's like the new Nakamura in terms of his role in the company he's like oh. the 1B guy but he's mm. he's, Nakam- he's Nakamura in terms of <laughs> yeah. phoning it in for most of his matches sleepwalking relying on his charisma 
you know, staying over based on his character rather than having great matches. And then, like, what he would usually do in a G1 is on the last two or three nights, he'd have a storming match. It's a storming match every night on the last two or three nights. And that's what people would remember. But he didn't even do that this year. You know what I mean? And, like, for all the complaints about Jay White in the block final about that not being a great match, if you look at Naito's year, that was just in keeping with every other match he's had this year. So I would put as much blame on Naito for that bad match as I would White. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Why was Steven Gerrard captain in England, let alone starting in the 2014 World Cup? That's the way <laughs> I think go. about it, Jamesy. Gado's a yeah. better man than Roy Hodgson in that regard. He's got more <laughs> balls. <laughs> um, yeah. And anyone put the boot into Stevie G is good in my book. <laughs> Me too. Say that again. Anyone putting the boot into Steven Gerrard is good in my book. So you fire away, Joe. You stick the boot into yeah, Naito now. A penalty agreement a, on that. I on was podcast. a big fan as a player, but by 2014, the man was the man was done at that level, and he couldn't accept it. And I think Naito's sort of probably going through sort of a sort of a similar phase, if anything, to be honest with you. And yeah, it looked like his body was kind of broken at points. It looked like he was having to really kind of find the motivation and find some energy mm. to actually really go at various points. I thought during this, the Tai Chi match was a prime example of that. And it just didn't work. I do think there were matches that he did have that were okay. I didn't mind the Juice Robinson match. I didn't mind the Moxley match, but at the same time, I am kind of glad that he really saved himself for that Shingo match because mm. it was an incredible match. It was a yeah. big match yeah. as well. And it got Shingo over that little bit more. So even though Naito won, I think Shingo got way more out of that match than Naito got during the tournament. And I think Naito probably knew that going in as well, but he's got Shingo over at that higher level, even mm. though Shingo lost in the match. Um, yeah, I don't know where I don't know where this leaves Naito for Wrestle Kingdom either going forward. Is he st- he is IC champion, isn't he? Yeah, Ibushi's talking yeah. about uh, yeah. winning the winning the belt on on, the, on day one of uh, of Wrestle Kingdom and on day two uh, uh, doing a unification with whoever the IC champion is potentially Naito. Um, so maybe we still will get that match, and maybe these Naito supporters still will get to see him on top. But I'm with all of you guys. I don't want to see it at this point. I'm just not not interested in Naito. I've seen him in every possible combination and in every possible position, mm-hmm. except for being the out and out top guy. And I don't really want to see him as the out and out top guy at this point. Uh, I, yeah, this was this was the G1 where you know Naito. He didn't look physically. He didn't really look himself. And just all in all, I just didn't think. He had a memorable G1. I think, yeah, I think the, the Shingo match is the one we're going to talk about, and it's because Shingo was in it. Uh, I think, yeah, I'm with Jamesy in that, yeah, Jay White's going to get pelters for that match, and we gave him some on, on this podcast, but Naito was the other man in the ring as well, um, and, and, he, and he didn't deliver on that big on that big stage. So, yeah, I just, I can't say I'm really excited going forward for what, what happens with Naito next. It's probably why we haven't mentioned think- much. I was going to say, I think as well, there's an overall staleness about the stable, about mm. LIJ in general. <laughs> yeah. Imagine, like, and obviously you could say some of that's part down, partly down to the loss of Hiromi, but I kind of wonder whether or not it was settling in before that. Mm. Then you look at um, the fact, where would they, what would it have been as a stable if Shingo wasn't in there, for God's sakes, in mm. terms of the kind of match quality as well? Because then, because I look at Evil and Sonata, and I, and I you know, there are obviously things about them, but they need to break away from that. And it's quite it's quite incredible now. I'm assuming that the reason really for sort of Naito getting that push is based on merchandise, mm. which I never think is the which most solid. Which he sells, but 
He's a draw. Not necessarily the most well. solid solid of reasons. Yes, he is. Yeah, I mean, he, obviously he is a draw, but it is at the point as well. He looks broken down. He, to me, he looked a lot smaller this year than perhaps he has done in, in previous years as well. There's always reports about his knees. It possibly with Ibushi, it seems like you know you, with him, it's you can see the reasons for striking while the iron's hot, although mm. probably Ghetto will have a card or win that one again at the Dome, but... I've got a feeling <laughs> we're going to get Naito Sonada at mm. Wrestle Kingdom now. Now we talk about LIJ as well. Seems yeah. like a possible route you could go down if you want to push Sonada that little bit further as well. It makes it feel like that would be best for kind of everyone involved. It would add something from a character perspective, perhaps. But for, like you say, from a work rate perspective, I mean, God, I was burnt out. On, I was... I was quite happy not to see Naito Ibushi in the final. I'd say one thing they need to stop. They need to stop as well. And I know this kind of benefits us to some degree, so it's a bit rich that I'm saying it. But they kind of need to think about what they're doing with these pre-season friendly equivalent shows over here where they're sending Naito over to have his pre-season friendly with MK McKinnon (laughs) a couple of weeks a week or two before the G1. What what team is MK McKinnon? <laughs> oh God! He's somewhere for the lower leagues, any non-league. It's a bit like when Chelsea played a pre-season game at Bohemians at Daly Mount Park. Did they? <laughs> yeah, one, one, one in the end. Wow! That was Frank Lampard's first game. Wow! Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't told me that yet. But <laughs> yeah, what what was he doing coming over a couple of weeks to, before to face MK McKinnon? It just feels like if he's that broken down let the lad have a rest like mm. the other guys can carry the load maybe send a star who's a bit fresher a little bit younger if you need to draw a house potentially because i just don't understand why you would knacker someone out to that level at this point of their career when they have worked so hard and at mm. such a high level for so long definitely yeah. and he did the junior tour as well he was the only heavyweight on the junior tour apparently he insisted he really? on doing it yeah, he, he insisted on being on the undercards for that. It's like, what was the reason for him being on those shows? You know what I mean? When his knees are knackered, as you said, and when he's, you know, he's he's phoning it in at the best of times, you know? So, yeah, just a little bit strange, that one, yeah. I think I'm with you, Jamesy, in that, yeah. He's following the Nakamura career trajectory, so just keep an eye out for him. He's going to be on a SmackDown big card near you doing a grudge matches with Andrade. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe that's 205 a... Live, mate. That's oh, uh, At least it's not NXT UK. Yeah, Jesus. They'll repeat his match with Kevin Nash again. That was a handicap match. It was, wasn't it, against... um, Him and Takahashi. Takahashi. Yeah, Yujiro. Yujiro, not Hiroki. Amazing. I mean, before we move on to... We got a a few questions, JP, you put the call out today. But before we Mm. move on to that, in the the stats that uh, that Grapple Gareth has given us, and I'm going to blame him uh, publicly, uh, he's given us a bit of a comparison, uh, as I mentioned a couple of times earlier, Grapple versus... Meltzer's ratings and there's a couple of uh, interesting notes on here that like I said earlier is kind of top 10 is pretty much identical to grapples but just with some higher ratings you know for example Okada Osprey the grapple rate was 4.68 Meltzer went 5.75 Shingo and Ishii and Jay White and Kota Ibushi both got 5.5 there were five five star matches uh, Shingo Naito Ibushi Osprey Okada Ibushi and Moxley Ishii um, oh, also Okada Sanada as well all of those as per usual all of those pretty much getting 4.5 maybe uh, Okada really is the new Randy Orton and Sonada's the new ladder Uh, you put a ladder in there and the Meltzer (laughs) scale goes up immediately but Gareth made some interesting points about that kind of that Meltzer scale because really if you take it 
literally, and it's hard to with kind of what what, what Meltzer's done with his scale, but, you know, highest ratings he's ever given, seven stars for Okada Omega. So if that's his scale, Gareth did some math to me saying, well, if that's the top of the scale, it's basically, it's like the spiral spinal tap thing. If you uh, if you turn it up to eleven, if you if you mess with your scale and make your top seven, then what does it do to everything else? And Gareth did the maths and worked out that well, one star on grapple therefore means one point four stars on the Melter scale. So if you kind of readjust Melter's scale for that, and if you say that well, you know his highest is seven, therefore it's the top. You know, his highest rate in, in this tournament, he gave Okada Osprey 5.75. If seven's your top, it's essentially the equivalent of 4.1 on the grapple scale. Uh, and if you really, really want to dig into it, then really that's the only match that he's rated above four stars. If you, you know, uh, uh, take his scale down to a to a manageable level. And is yeah, he's he given two matches, as I said earlier, those two matches, 5.5 stars. They come out at 3.93 at the end. And basically, yeah, I think the thing is, 5.5 stars from Melter isn't 5.5 stars anymore. Uh, he's fucked it, lads, uh, as far as the scale goes. I, yeah. I, I don't yeah. really... We're trying to apply logic to it, but I'm not sure there is logic there anymore because, yeah, he, Melter will always say, well, there was never an upper limit. And he'll say things like, he actually tweeted today something about how, well, you know, it, it, if, if a match is above four stars, then it's great. And if it goes higher than that, then, you know, it just shows that the modern style is so much better than the old style. I don't know, just just give any any credence to that, maybe you first, Jamesy. Uh, I, I don't really know how his scale works at this point, because, yeah, again, if you're going to give something seven stars, then where's your 6.75 matches? Where's your 6.5? Where's your 6.25? And being honest, I, personally, I never thought Okada, Ross, Okada um, Omega was, was a seven-star match. It was five at a push, but, yeah, uh, it wasn't the one to break the, the scale for me. Yeah, like it, it probably makes sense in in Dave's weird and wonderful mind, you know. And I think Dave Meltzer thinks differently to just about any other human on earth. <laughs> and like I, I always, I always take this as as his way of saying that the modern New Japan era is the best era of of wrestling that there's ever been and that's what i always take it as you know like that that he, he never went above or he went above five was it once for some steamboat five star match, plus I think, was it like something that. like that he said five star plus which ratings. i can take that yeah. makes sense i understand that it's like yeah. it's off the scale yeah exactly you, you could say your match is at five star plus Mm, I don't he, think he, so. he may have had yeah there was another sure. one there was one there was a Masawa match mm, he yeah. rewatched that match when he did the six stars Nakada and Omega oh, yeah. and I think he said oh, by like the yeah. standard then it was like a six star match or something like that. I remember him saying that on the wrestlers ever radio when Omega Ricardo a dome happened but mm, I don't yeah. know the plus on the rating in the newsletter I'm not sure <laughs> yeah that's all I take it as he he's basically saying that these matches are the greatest that ever happened. And he's he's almost trying to rank them now in their own little league of, of matches where, where, where the, the Omega Okada one is at seven. And he's trying to say that the Osprey one is the ninth best and that kind of thing. So he's completely fucked the scale up, of course. Like, but, mm. you know, th- there's some logic to it, I suppose. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, it, it seems bizarre to me to suddenly just extend the scale out of nowhere, you know, but... <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, he can never join Grapple, can he? Because he'll be screwed. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it's a shame because I think, and it ties into the point I'm going to make on this as well. I always wondered if him going to six stars, because he didn't announce that Omega Ricardo was six stars. Mm. At the end of his report in the newsletter, there were six stars. And it was like, hey, there's six stars there. And then that got picked up on and Twitter went mad over it. And then he said, yeah, I gave it six stars intentionally. And it felt to me like it was almost like a bit of a marketing sort of ploy, like a little tactic to put lots of attention on himself and the newsletter. And he's spoken about how subscriptions are the highest they've been Mm. in this era. And I sometimes wonder if the increased attention and traffic that his Twitter gets and maybe the reason that he can be a twat on Twitter is like a reverse kind of psychology marketing strategy to get uh, even though he gets lots of negative attention mm. does it get people talking does it get people intrigued about what is written in this newsletter wanting to check it out maybe doing a preview for a yeah. month seeing what it's like he's, he's said that he has has he really he's, I didn't he know said that, that. He's, I've seen him say that on Twitter that that um being that way on Twitter is good for business. And like, I think in a funny way in Dave's head, it's all a work. Yeah. And he's like, he's, he's, call, that's the yeah. He's, he's, yeah. he's so engrossed in the world of wrestling at, the, at, at this stage that he almost feels like he's working us all. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that's a great point. Like that, that um, like we do talk about it. And I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the talk this morning was the observers coming out. I wonder what Gargano Cole is going to get compared to the G1 final and that kind of thing, you know? So it works. We're talking about it. We're sitting <laughs> there talking about him. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, I, um, I think there's some truth in it for sure. I think it's partly that. And it's partly like, uh, got to mention, you know, Martin Bushby's old, uh, PWN radio, uh, the catch cast they used to do. They interviewed Okada and Okada talked about wanting to break the scale and have a six star match. And it also almost just felt like, you know, as we said then, Meltzer's just trying to appease Okada and appease Kenny mm. by then then going even further and giving seven stars, as well as troll and, and piss off the uh, the anti-Meltzer brigade, uh, which, again, like you say, it does work. Yeah, it's almost like there's an element of self-awareness there, which doesn't always come across when you listen to him talk, but... Mm. Yeah, he's very in- invested and, and absorbed by that sort of Twitter world, I suppose, yeah. and I think is aware of his reputation. And yeah, it feels like he knows how to get people talking about a rating. So I don't think this has been something that he's done consciously over like, what, through, say, the 90s or the 2000s. I think the last few years is something that, I don't know, he's tried and tested and it's gone, it's been kind of a effective i suppose mm. and mm. like james he said we're talking about it it always gets a lot of chatter yeah. and we're always looking I, I think like i used to look at melter as like the guru of star mm. ratings I, sp- I remember like finding a, a geo cities website when i was at i think i was at school so we're talking like no it must must have been it must have been 2004 i reckon so i was at college mm. i remember going through this site and looking at matches that he'd rated at, at like over three and a half stars and above and then like searching them out and trying to find them online and trying to find downloads of these like top rated american matches and stuff so but now i think that he has kind of jumped the shark when it comes to these ratings. Like, mm. what is 5.75? Like, really? That's what is 
two five. Like <laughs> it's a bit ridiculous. It's but silly. if it works and business is healthy, and I don't know, he can afford to go on more trips to Japan every year now. <laughs> fair play to him. Uh, yeah. Well, that's that. Sorry. Go ahead, Jeffy. I was going to say that that's the big takeaway, isn't it? Is that. Um, it is that it has kind of jumped the shark and it's hard to take it particularly seriously for, for where it is. And I, uh, you know, I'm boring in this regard. I always look at like rating these. It's obviously incredibly subjective star ratings. Can't necessarily, they, they can't tell you the story of the match. It's just effectively um, quantitative research. It's just this, this kind of numerical figure that you go with, but the reasoning for how you get there isn't often necessarily explained by certainly the, the people using the app. So the way I look at it is what is a five-star match? There'll be a five-star match that we would all have, a match that we would love, that we love and we would watch again and again. And it could be down to like sentimental reasons and various things like that. But it does force you to kind of be subjective about what is five stars. And we think of five stars effectively in common parlance as perfection. Hmm. And as soon as you break that and you effectively go, this is more than perfect then perfection, perfect doesn't have any meaning anymore at that point. And so it just get, comes down to a stage where there'll be some, there'll be two wrestlers who do Okada and Omega. And then what does that get? Seven and a half. <laughs> at that stage, you are on your way to 10. Yeah, it's, gonna, it's gone mad. In that it, it goes mad at that point. <laughs> I, I think the argument that you could use is the kind of film comparison. That's so Yeah, went in, from four like, to traditionally, five. Yeah, yeah, and like you still look at, say, Rod. I always used to read Roger Ebert's reviews, and he was mm. still alive. And I still use the website, and some of the other writers are pretty good on there. Mm. And they still rate films at four on that website. And some mm. of the other more traditional, kind of older publications still rate at four stars as well. Mm. Um, but it felt like all of the mainstream press grabbed onto the five star ratings. But luckily. No one has grabbed on to say the the six and seven stars. We've mm. kept it at that base level of five stars. It's like it's an agreed star amount amongst everyone other than Dave, basically. Yeah, so, yeah. indeed. And I'll, I'll get a Gareth to maybe. I think Gareth is is looking at putting the, these numbers out somewhere. I don't know in what form. Maybe a graphic or or maybe a, something a bit longer form. But yeah, just thought it was uh, interesting to put uh, see the differences there. But yeah, I think there's no danger of it. I think Grapple's always going to remain uh, a five star rating app. And yeah, you know, if Dave, Big Dave ever wants to join, maybe maybe Gareth will make an exception for him. But then again, it, can it, it, I just check? So, Sorry, I've just seen that he's given Cole Gargano four stars. <laughs> what, what's that on the grapple scale? What's a Meltzer four on the grapple scale? So a Meltzer four on the grapple scale. Oh, my God, it'd be around two and a half, which yeah. is probably about right. I'd yeah. go lower, personally. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, think I went to three. fucking minutes. So Jamesy, what did you give a, a Gargano uh, Cole? I will never watch that fucking match in my life. Who's <laughs> <laughs> got the time? Never. I hated the first two, and I, I read about it. I heard about it. I saw enough talk about it to think I'm never going to waste you my know time. Again. Never. <laughs> Absolutely. If you're going to go out of the way and watch that, you might as well watch the 60-minute Matt Taven, Jay Lethal ladder match as well. Uh, never. So match that as well while you're at it. Yeah, might as well do that. You're the only person still mentioning that match, mate. Uh, <laughs> I'm, him and Matt Taven, they're the two guys. And the 97 people who bought tickets to uh, ROH's UK tour so far. Uh, well, you're going, aren't you, Benno? Uh, my, my mate really wants to go. Uh, Matthew, uh, who's got the first question, actually, we'll get to the questions in a minute. 
yeah, I'll go, but just to observe the, the corpse of Ring of Honor um, and to observe him, <laughs> the one man in the front row cheering for Matt Taven. As, as the Ring of Honor correspondent, I suppose. That is, that's my job. Ring of Honor, GCW, all, all the fun stuff. For Any chance getting the tracksuit out of the... Uh... Oh, see, my mate Chris in Malta's got my tracksuit, but I've still got my beanie hat. I can pop that on. Maybe throw a CM Punk retro ROH t-shirt on. Uh, maybe get a Dragon Soldier B uh, t-shirt. He's uh, He's been in the news today. Maybe I can do that. <laughs> Um, but anyway, yeah, we should we should get on to the uh, the questions or what's uh, now turned into our mammoth G one podcast. It was always happening, lads. Um, <laughs> JP put the the call out today for some questions, and uh, the aforementioned uh, Matty Edwards is up first. He's he's asked for us to mention that wrestling for points is not proper wrestling, and they should have a gauntlet or a battle royal to sort it out in an hour instead of dragging it out for thirty seven days. Cheers. <laughs> Thoughts. <laughs> Russo Edwards. <laughs> uh, get a, we'd all have a much quieter summer. You know, we'd be able to do so much more if that happened. But I don't know. I think I'll, I think I'll take the G1 as is. Yeah, well, now the incredible thing is, I mean, last year I was watching a fair whack of G1 in Turkey just before like an Erdogan rally. The fact you can watch it anywhere around the world. I like the idea of it being on all summer. I don't mm. want it over within a day. I'll be pissed off. Like, I don't I even like cricket, JP. Cup it feels Sorry? like my equivalent to cricket. Like I don't like the cricket, but as far as something that drags out and you can enjoy all summer long and take the odd day off work for, and like Jamesy said, watch on your lunch or like I will nip to the toilet yeah. and watch. Uh, I like that, yeah. I enjoy a good Russo battle royal, maybe a reverse battle royal. Always a fan of that. Uh, but yeah, I think I'd rather keep the tournament as is. Ah, we, we get a Rambo, and, and certainly they must be having a Rambo this year. So we'll always, we'll, we'll get that. <laughs> Gino Gambino will be York, there, didn't he? Sorry? Joe got a good one in New York, didn't he? Oh, don't, don't remind me. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Ken, Kenny King. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he could be in the G1 next year. You know? Didn't he eliminate Liger and Mooter at the same time? <laughs> 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 She yeah, ruined the ruined moment, yeah. Oh, amazing. Uh, well, speaking yeah. of Liger, Will Cooling asked, do you think they should have given Liger one last go in the G1 so he could see him up against some of the newer heavyweights before he retires? And if there was one person on the British or American indie scene you would want in the G1, who would it be? So, I don't know, maybe question one first, Jamesy, what do you reckon? Liger, could they, could they have done him in the G1? I don't think I'd put him through it at this point in his uh, career when he's just about to retire. Could kill him off. No, exactly. Like, I suppose in one sense, it would be nice. And I suppose the bigger point that I'd make about Liger in general is they've not made much of a big deal about his retirement so far. So no. they haven't. Like, it's his final year and he's kind of, he's there on commentary. You don't really hear it referred to. Um, he's had that little feud with Minoru Suzuki, kind of, that that, that may be where he goes at Wrestle Kingdom. I'm not sure. Um, so I, I don't think the G1 is a place for him. Like, he did that in the past and acquitted himself very well. Um but actually, a really good theory that I heard somebody, um, Dylan Fox, you know, Striga from Germany, he does mm. his um, the oh, Eastern yeah, Larian Eastern podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. His co-host, uh, Dylan Fox, had a great theory on their podcast about what to do with Liger. So his idea was to do Liger against Osprey at the Tokyo, uh, one, of the, one of the nights at the Tokyo Dome for the, the junior title. And for Liger to win and then retire the title. So he, he kind of ended his career as the junior heavyweight champion. And he kind of made the point that if anybody can kind of make that work, it's Osprey. And um, I just thought it was it was something I hadn't heard before. Uh, maybe a nice idea for kind of to finish off Liger's career. 
it sounds really I, it, I like the idea of that I'd kind of convinced myself that he would be in against Minoru Suzuki yeah in yeah. some ways yeah. at the dome like in some just because the length of time they've kind of built to um, for that but I'd you know I'd happily go along with it I mean that's like you they haven't done as much I mean he's, he's in Cheltenham this this Sunday <laughs> yeah. for, for Red Pro <laughs> like, and, that, and that's apparently going to be his final Appear, final appear, UK appearance final UK yeah. appearance for that which is which seems quite shocking because you'd think he just would have been on Royal Quest going out in Cheltenham eh <laughs> he just loves it he loves he loves those uh, market towns doesn't he there you go big yeah. fan of Lager um, I but, mean anything to Will's but I wouldn't have him in I, I wouldn't have had him in there no. on there um, anything to Will's other question British, yeah British or American indie I would have it's hard to <sighs> say I don't really think there's any British guys I mean I'm a, definitely not Chris Brooks Definitely not Dan Maloney, Jamesy. Um, maybe David Starr, but he's a, he's a cruiserweight, isn't he? So you can't really do that. I don't really see any heavyweights that stand out for me that that I could pick, unless there's someone I'm missing. I would all if Walter counted, I'd take Walter. Um, but obviously at this point, I he's not really an indie guy. Of, I wouldn't because of Walter's. Uh, yeah, he never looked good, did he? Against, yeah, he was a, a bit Red Cobb. Yeah, he's a little bit Jeff Cobb. Um, yeah. He became the junior in the situation, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, he did completely. For, for me, I go pack. I think I think he'd slot in. Mm-hmm. I think the style would completely suit him. I think he'd have some presence. I think sure. he'd have some star quality in front of those sort of crowds. Obviously, he's a Dragon Gate guy, so you know it's a little bit harder. But I think he'd slot right in, and I think it would be easy. If I had anyone else, and it, I suppose he's WWE contracted, maybe I think he'd be better in the best of the Super Juniors. Jordan Devlin, I think would be I would be great, and he's the one guy anywhere in the world that's if if there's one guy I could get out of WWE at that sort of level that's not really being used and is in this dead brand and put in New Japan right now. But I think we get over. I think it would be Devlin, but to stay on brand, I'm just going to pick Josh Bowden because why the fuck not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rev Joe, would he show up? <laughs> <laughs> he might be sent over, then they'll have a problem. <laughs> Uh, the, the one that I'm always, you know, for obvious reasons, Matt Riddle in the G1. Oh. What that, that, how good what that could have been. Have been. Yeah. What could Riddle have been. against Shingo. Oh. oh, Jesus Christ. Two terrible reds. Imagine that. Mm. Yeah. Instead, he's having a, you know, he's having to watch Goldberg on the fucking telly, isn't he? <laughs> that's, that's what he's been forced to Oh, he had a good fight with Big Dame. He was that. amazing. He made the absolute most you could out of that he's doing the greatest comedy skit in wwe history while goldberg wrestles <laughs> yeah very true um quite next question from mark buckleton our good friend monkey buckles on twitter a uh, couple of questions for him firstly asks uh, what level should shingo be at and should be in should he be in uh, ic or heavyweight contention and he also asks uh, as a regular g1 mvp should ishi get a, a thank you iwgp heavyweight title run a la nakanishi that kind of ties into uh, the next question from liam lf doom who asks if we can just have our our annual discussion uh, coming out of every g1 if uh, big tom ishi is the most underrated under appreciated an overlooked wrestler of the last decade uh maybe shingo first and then we'll we'll tackle ishi um oh you want to do shingo first sorry either or Um, or whatever you think i think trajectory shingo's on right now um i think it's fine the win over naito is his tournament in the same way that osprey's win over tanahashi 
is his tournament. Um, I'm hoping Shingo gets further up the card, gets a bigger push as the year goes on. But I think establishing him in that heavyweight division after him being the junior division, um, yeah, give him a never title run at some point, and I think it'll be fine. I'd love to see him and Naito uh, develop a proper feud and him take that belt off of Naito, mm. but I don't see it happening. I think they'd go with Sonada if they did an LIJ feud, but there's the potential there. Mm. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would... Uh, <laughs> I would agree with that. I think the level he's at, they're, they're clearly telling a long form story because for a long time in the tournament, he had barely any points. He was like at the bottom of the table and it was this, they were telling the story of him not being able to, his moves weren't working on heavyweights. And then they've kind of managed to establish that towards the end of the tournament, he had had some, had that, that run of a, what, two, three great matches and it sort of established him as getting used to that heavyweight level. So if he's in that kind of brand, the never title is kind of perfect for him. And the style of the wrestlers he'd be in there with, there'd be that mix that would involve inevitably Ishii, Goto. Like we said earlier on, you've got your archers and, and you know, other other guys you can work around that. I think that's more the level for him. Um, in terms of Ishii, there is, a, it's it would be such a special story, the sort of run of him to getting a, a title shot. I'm not expecting him necessarily to win it, but that title shot, if they really built up to it and they've kind of, there's always been that kind of subtleties with him and Okada over the years, but never the point of him sort of going right, a match at a sumo hall, like a big kind of main event. Cause I think it would draw. And in terms of him being underappreciated, I don't think that's that we all appreciate him, but at the same time, it's the nature of the character that he's kind of meant to be understated whilst at the same time, brilliant it's the kind of the way that he projects himself is he's that great character actor that always delivers brilliant performances but you don't necessarily always have him as the star kind of works and bearers as part of that ensemble but you want him to have that one moment to shine mm. and and i think there's value in it i don't even think it would happen in the next year possibly in like two years i could see them doing so like building up to that big match with with hopefully in a card that feels like the natural opponent. For, for me, the IWGP title is not a thank you belt. And I think you create a dangerous precedent if you give someone the belt as a thank you. And there are other companies who have done that. And I know Ring of Honor did it years ago with CM Punk on his way out, for example. Um, that worked fine. Yeah, it was a good um, run. Yeah, it was. It was a great run. Um, did it with James Gibson as well, didn't they, just mm. afterwards? Homicide? So two in a row, kind really. Of. Yeah, I think the Homicide one was a long storyline as well. Yeah, but so it was the punk one, I suppose. Um, but Jeff Jarrett and TNA. Oh, <laughs> We're always thanking Jeff Jarrett on this podcast. Yeah, I wouldn't do it just because of what the title is, mm. and it would just feel almost like a, a bit of an obvious move. I mm. get the thinking behind it. I wouldn't go with it, though. I, what I would do... And I would have done it this year. And I, in my mind, when Benno thought Okada was winning this year, mm. I was thinking to myself, do Okada Ishii in the final if Okada's winning it? Because you can have Ishii win a final. And he's not going to lose anything from it. In mm. fact, he's going to be more over for getting to a final. Mm. And there's going to be real emotion with that final as well. I and mean, you could potentially give Ishii a shot of a title afterwards against Okada. Have him lose again, but look great in in loss, if anything. He's the perfect underdog. You could have him in a final and it'd be credible and work on a big stage at a Budokan, but you kind of always have to have him lose. Uh, Yeah, have him be the Holland of uh, 
Yeah. What Holland are to the World Cup of the yeah. IWGP <laughs> World Title. And are either of those, Jamesy, or pretty much in agreement? Pretty much in agreement, yeah. Like, I, I, as... as um, as Joe said, like the IWGP title shouldn't be the gold watch you get when you retire to kind of to thank you for your, your 30 years of service in the job or whatever. You know, I, I think it should be kept special. I think they've done a great job of limiting the IWGP title to, to a small number of people and it keeps it as a select group. And like, because if you give it to Ishii, then why shouldn't Goto get it? You know, you start opening mm-hmm. up like, and then it shouldn't be something that everybody gets a turn at. It should be kept special. I do think a G1 final will be great. And yeah, I think that's the upper limit of what you can absolutely do with Ishii. Mm-hmm. Some year when when maybe, you know, you don't have a second guy to be in a final or some year when somebody gets an injury or something like that, tell a story with Ishii and he'll like, there's no doubt he'll have a banger of a match. Like, I mean, that's taken for granted at this stage. Mm, agreed. Uh, Ian Hamilton asks us, should uh, Block C, should the C block be a real thing? And why should it be a mixture of veterans and nearly runs? What do we think on that? Should we have a C block? I was talking with Joe about this earlier on. Um, I like the idea of it if you did it right and you had a small select group and had it as like qualifying for the Champions League type deal. And then you have these kind of, you could even do sort of preliminary rounds. It might be nice on some of the smaller row two shows in the build up, possibly around sort of April, May. And then you can tell a story, even if that person manages to get there where they could conceivably lose all seven. Mm. The best person for it, even though they're a, they're a young line at the moment, would be someone like a Shota Umino. That would be, for me, like someone who'd be perfect for that role, as opposed to, say, for example, getting Chase Owens, who, don't get me wrong, I think has come on a long way since he's been in New Japan and, and, can, be, and can be quite fun, but I don't necessarily want to see him in a G1. So it depends on who you're putting into that C block as well. Mm. I suppose you could get a Kojima in there, the idea of like you know making putting Minoru Suzuki and something like that. I mean, I think there's some interesting stuff you can get out of it. It's when you do it and to make sure that you don't burn out people. So maybe in that kind of period after a after a Tokyo Dome, you could do something around that. Mm. Uh, Stephen Louch asks uh, four down, four promoted for next year from the twenty. Who's in and out? And he also asks what flavor of crisp is Jay White. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, are we all in agreement that Fale has to go anyway yeah Fale's out yes. Jeff Cobb's out Jeff Cobb's out and then it gets a bit difficult like if I ha- if, if you put a gun to my head the four that I put down because you have to pick somebody are Fale Cobb Taichi even though I quite enjoyed his G1 <gasps> and then the, the fourth one I had as a toss up between Sonata or Goto Goes now I think me. you know you got Goto yeah. because I think even though I don't like Sonata he is over, and he's a guy they're pushing. So you can't take Sonata out. So yeah, Goto would be the fourth guy I take out. Fourth guy I take out. Mm-hmm. And in terms of putting people in, I said I'd take two from within New Japan and two from outside. So um, the two from within that I picked were Shota Umino, mm-hmm. like. Um, mm-hmm. Like we said earlier, I think there's value in maybe running something like the Young Lions Cup or something like that, and maybe giving the winner of that a spot in the G1. And then a guy who I find I've very got a interesting. I've smile on my face at just the thought of that. <laughs> I'm stealing your thunder here. I'm very, very sorry, JP. Oh, no, you go for it. <laughs> and then the other guy I thought of was a guy we haven't mentioned yet, and he's a guy that always impresses me, is Toa Hanare. Mm. 
Um, always impresses me on undercard tags. Um, he's not so much a young line anymore, you know what I mean? And a guy like who, who would be, like, you could beat him a lot. You could have him as a guy who like maybe won two matches in the tournament or one match in the tournament and that kind of thing. And there's a certain value in that, I think, in the G1. And like, surely to God, he'd be better than Fale. And then for outside guys, I thought of, if you're going to lose Fale, I think you need a super heavyweight, a big guy, a mountain to climb. And the guy I thought of was Yuji Okabayashi from Big Japan. Because I think he is that big guy. He is that mountain to climb. But like, you know, if you watched him in the Champion Carnival, he's also a guy who can have incredible matches, who can, he's a bit like Shingo and that he can just go, go, go every single night. Mm. Um, and I think he, I just think he'd be totally different as well. Like he would be a kind of a rough around the edges, hard hitting heavyweight that you don't really have in New Japan. And then to nobody's surprise, the other guy I would put in is the guy who uses the uh, the Antonio Inoki Enzigiri, the guy who uses the Fujiwara armbar, all in the traditions of New Japan wrestling, the great Timothy Thatcher. Get an old mat wrestler in there. Just to stretch out all these pretty boys a little bit in New Japan and show them, you know, show them how to really grapple, show them what strong style actually means <laughs> I think he'd get over I think this is one of the places because Tim Thatcher doesn't work everywhere yeah. does he but it works in Germany yeah, it works yeah, in Ireland yeah. I think it'd work in Japan yeah. it would I'd love to see him get a run in Japan because I think he'd be appreciated there maybe more than anywhere mm. yeah I think so I think when you say it like that you think yeah he's kind of got the build for it as well he's clearly going to be able to kind of do those standard of the matches he'd offer something different every day then inevitably you could get the match with him and Zack Sabre Jr which would be fantastic oh, yeah. to watch th- as well I think if a Moxley isn't in there next year because of AEW commitments possibly he'd be a good Moxley replacement next year yeah. mm-hmm. see him mm-hmm. fulfilling that sort of role really effectively during this sort of tournament yeah, good show so yeah. any any other shouts from you guys or do you want to answer the uh, flavour of crisp Jay White question or the or the follow up question that Louch put which was which EastEnders love story should be the storyline closest followed for Ambrose oh, no, no, nah, 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 it's not that <laughs> sort of podcast go, go, go away fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell crisps at least ready Brilliant. salted um what would I say for me I've never been um, I'm not massive salt and vinegar fan so it's would be salt and vinegar for me. Prong cocktail, maybe. I'm not a fan of that. Uh, <laughs> moving on, though. Um, Dylan Char asks, with the success of Royal Quest, do you think staging a round of G1 in England, like they did in the US, would draw fans? Or is it better to have its own show like Royal Quest for New Japan over here? Get it over here. Yeah, definitely. I'd take it. I think, yeah, dude, yeah. dude US got the first week this year. You know, we're, we're not that much of a different flight but yeah come over here do that i think it we've already proven with royal quest that we'll we'll support it so yeah could just and if it's a g1 as well real stakes in there that would be Ooh. definitely there and i think a lot is going to if that copper box looks good on tv and you can get six thousand on there like really could be on something there for the big shows given the location and everything and else think about the doubts around 2020 with the olympics being in japan next year mm, as well question about that. i've i've i have wondered previously if maybe the excursion to the u.s this year coming over here has been almost a kind of test to see if say the copper box if say u.s is viable to host more G1 next year. Mm. I, I don't know what's going on with the venues around Tokyo, uh, but yeah, if they want to come and re- come and give us a, a big G1 show, I will not be complaining. Absolutely. Um, 
Gareth Elton asks, uh, since, since it's safe to say Moxley won't be back next year, I don't know, I could see him coming back. Uh, what do you think would be good choices for number 20 this year? And do you think we could see Suzuki back at some point, considering his character hasn't exactly gone out on his own terms? I suppose we've uh, answered a couple of questions about who we think should be added. I think Moxley will be back, though, myself. I don't think I think he's going to pick and choose uh, for the next year or so, but as long as his contract allows it, I could see, he looked like he had the time of his life, so I think he'll carry on being in G1. And Minoru Suzuki, uh, they've turned it into a story for me, but I think this, I think he's done as far as G1 goes. He's at that age now. I probably wouldn't bother putting mm. him in G1s going forward. I just continue using the <laughs> story. Don't know about you guys, JP. I would agree with that. I mean, I, I would say, firstly, on the Moxley point, um, it's clearly that he loves doing New Japan. I think he probably ended up loving it much more than he would have originally expected, just the reinvigoration. So I can almost see him demanding to go back in. Something's like, I want to do this again. I could, I, hopefully he would do that, and it seemed that he would maintain that kind of level of control over his own career to be able to do that as well. In terms of Minoru Suzuki... You could do maybe one more at most, but really by doing this, which was ultimately a wise decision when you consider that we're going to get that Suzuki Okada match. And it feels like it's he's felt reinvigorated. And he's also added something to the undercards throughout the tournament. There's still, you know, so I think for you maybe have him in there once, but at the same time, the idea of someone who's been basically kind of forced to retire from this job but not on his own terms. I like the idea of that being sort of a consistent storyline until the day that he retires, which is never because he seems like he's immortal. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I I think it's he'll be back once, but then that'll be it. Mm. Fair enough. Um, Benny Owens asks, uh, which matches do you think were generally over and underrated? I think we've touched on this a little bit, but... James, is there anything that wildly jumped out to you that was wildly overrated or wildly underrated as far as the tournament goes? I would say, uh, for me, Okada Sonata was overrated, but even I gave it four stars, so I can't complain that much. Yeah, Okada Sonata for sure. Um, I think the big one was that Sonata Ibushi match. I absolutely hated that match. Like, like I can't talk about how much I hated that match. I had it at one star. I think Meltzer gave it 4.5. Um, it was just, it summed up everything bad about Sonata. Like, he, like there was mistakes he made in that match. His positioning was off. There were some terrible botches in it. I just... Just, you know, when you just, I think I definitely feel like I have um, Joe's antipathy towards Jay White, towards Sonata. I just hated that match. So definitely <laughs> that was the most overrated. Uh, underrated, I would say, um, we've kind of talked about them already. The, the Sabre-Kenta match, I think, didn't get, like, as I said, I had that in my top five. Uh, the Juice-Jay White match, where, where Jay went after Juice's leg, I thought was a great match. And again, I keep mentioning it, the Shingo Moxley match that I talked about on the last episode. Again, I haven't really seen seen much chatter outside of maybe myself and actually Ben on Twitter talking about it. Mm. Anything from either of you guys? Kind mm. of in agreement with what Jamesy said, to yeah. be honest there. He's kind of... Uh, the underrated matches you mentioned there, I'm kind of in complete agreement with. There's nothing else that is kind of coming to mind. I think maybe Osprey Zach mm. wasn't as highly rated mm -hmm. as I thought yes. it would have been. Yeah. Came and went. Um, yeah. Um, I think, that, like I said previously, they got better in them. But I thought the match would have got more attention when it happened. I think maybe being second 
on a pretty good card was part of the reason for that as well. I think if it was highlighted more as maybe a main event or a semi-main in a show, it maybe it would have got that little bit more attention. Yep. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Hitchcock asks, how have our opinions on Taichi changed? Says he thought his matches with Shingo and Ishii were Ishii and Shingo's best in the tournament. Not so sure on that, um, but I did enjoy them. Uh, I think my opinion on Taichi is the same. I still hate the gimmick. Still not a fan. Yeah, he had a couple of bright spots in the tournament, but I think I'm probably the low man out of the four of us still on Tai Chi. I could do without seeing him I'm again. feel exactly the same, Beto. He had mm. good matches. He's had good matches previously, but I've not changed my opinion. No. I think ultimately, quite often, I end up coming back to the match he had in Man. It was in against Will Ospreay Awful. in Manchester, which was absolutely horrific. Second worst Osprey match after that Farley match I've ever seen. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm slightly higher on him. They're telling a story where potentially he could do something. It's a crazy idea. Why not have him actually just do it? If he's any good, have some good matches. Wild idea. I can handle. The singing and the Mio Arbe stuff. I can, it's just kind of white noise to me, basically. But, yeah. Mm. Uh, our good friend Gary on Graps uh, of Eurograps fame asks us, who came out the G1 with their stock lower than when they entered it? It's Jeff Cobb, isn't it, lads? Yeah. It is Jeff Cobb. Yeah. And Jeff Cobb much. exposed everything I'd always kind of thought about him, to be honest. Like, mm. everything that I thought was missing yeah. exactly. was shown here. Uh, Jeff Cobb intensively hmm. over a series of sort of days or weeks. Hmm. This is the first time that's ever happened, and there is so much that just isn't there. And yeah, he's got to go away and really assess hmm. what this tournament was for him and where he's going to be really in the next year or so. Definitely. Send him off to Inter Milan. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Inter Milan could be Orlando. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if he disappeared to NXT, I don't think we'd uh, we'd be crying like we do about Keith Lee and Matt Riddle. Uh, but then again, I think the Tans are in the G1. Maybe he could come back under the mask. Maybe that'd give him some life. Um, next question to come from RBX2000 on Twitter. In your regular life, go on, JP, you can answer this one. In your regular life, do you consider yourself a mox or a shooter? Who's the mox I'm and who's shooter. the shooter in Joe and JP? I'm not quite sure it sounds like. Well, I'm considerably of... younger than JP, so... <laughs> I'm to my mom. I must be your young boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing more needs to be said about that. Yeah. Oh, I'll be mox or shoot. Like, weirdly, I am now. It the... Sounds like we're talking kink here, really, doesn't it? I am now the age you were. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. It's not weird. It's That's the natural time process works. of evolution. Yeah. Time, but yeah. it's kind of just how aging works. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Known each other a long time now. Oh, very true. Um, up to a decade. Jesus. Um, Neil David asks, what's the future for Jay White? Do you think it's just a matter of time before he realises the error of his ways and turns? Or is he the high-level gatekeeper? Does the Bullet Club need to go so talents like White can do something fresh and Yujiro can fuck off? Kind of two questions there, Jamesy. But yeah, where do you see Jay White in, uh, in future in G1 and in uh, New Japan? And do you agree with me? Well, I will answer yes, Bullet Club de- does need to go. Um, I- I'm done with that stable as an idea. And As much as I like the Kent to turn and Busters of enjoying White, I'd much more enjoy them in a fresher stable. Yeah, it's, it is the whole Bullet Club thing. Uh, jumped the shark for me many years ago, to be honest. Um, I, in terms of Jay White, I think that description that the whoever sent the question in had of him is actually quite good, the gatekeeper. And I think that's his role. Pretty much what he did for Ibushi where he was the heel that Ibushi had to overcome 
Like I, I, I don't see him as a top guy at the moment. I don't think there's any need for Jay White to be the top guy in the company or a champion. But I think he has a role as a guy to elevate baby faces. So much as I hate the idea of it on paper of a Sonata versus Jay White feud, like like you know the thought of the two of those feuding is quite grim. You can see the logic in getting Sonata over more as a face. You know what I mean? So uh, like a trilogy between the two of those. You could see that Japanese crowd who loves Sonata getting behind him more in the face of all the adversity that Jay White shows against, that throws against people. So that's probably his role. Um, and I do think the face turn will happen eventually. And mm. I think it will probably happen in the day he, he throws Gato out of the ring and gets rid of him. And that'll be because because I almost feel like the crowd hates Gato more than they hate Jay White in mm. a way. So I think if it, uh, the day Jay White turns on Gato and banishes him to the back and says, I'm doing this on my own, will be a massive moment. And I think that'll be when he kind of has his baby face run in New Japan. Yeah, I could see that happening. Joe JP, anything on that? I'm just contemplating the idea of a Sonata Jay White. But I can I can agree with that. I think that that is a good description of him as, as high level gatekeeper. I think I'm, I think we'd all kind of be fine with that. Because I don't think there is that need for him to be the top guy, and he needs, and we've, as we've said at length, like he's still someone who needs that time to grow into that role, so it feels like a natural fit. So yeah, I mean, in terms of Bullet Club, I, do you know, it just kind of washes over me that it's a thing. I can't imagine it's nearly selling as much merchandise as it as it once was. So yeah, it should evolve into something else. They've done as well out of Bullet Club as they're ever going to have done. I mean, it's done a lot for them, but yeah, it should die a death. Mm, I agree. Um, Liam Jordan asks us, what do you think New Japan should do with the G1 next year as some of the regular venues will be occupied for the Olympics? Mm. Should they move it to a different time of year? A bit like uh, when you get the uh, the Olympics in the winter or when they try and move big football tournaments. Should they hold tournaments outside of Tokyo or should there be more shows out of Japan? I think we're well up for... More shows outside of the Japan. Uh, I don't think it'd be the G1, though, if it was a, another time of year, John. Nah. I, I want to see a year in the same I'm looking forward to the Guitar World yeah. Cup. Um, <laughs> that's for other reasons as well, particularly Richard Keyes doing PR for the Guitar World Cup, Shocking. as he often likes to do for guitar. But the little atom that dared to dream. See how the <laughs> um, yeah, I've got an Alan Partridge tangent. On an Alan Partridge style TV presenter, um, yeah, just same time, just multiple different cities around the world. Give Jamesy a show over in Dublin. Yes, uh, give, oh. um, give Ben another show at the Echo Arena. Just oh, the Olympia. Just surely. listen to this podcast and do what Carrie <laughs> Silkin with Benno in 2006, and you know, bring your company to the town of the people recommended it to you. <laughs> you get, the bus, get the bus get the bus going again, Benno. <laughs> oh, I'm not doing another bus, James. Yeah, I refuse. <laughs> I could charter Dublin, Ben. I'll take that. We could all get the you ferry. You carry Jay White's bags. <laughs> I'll take that. Charter a flight to Dublin. <laughs> um, the thing I have heard with this is that I don't, I think there's more venues available for them that there perhaps is. I think Tokyo is much more of the issue and I think in particular is it is it Budokan that's, that's the issue on those particular days? Or is it Sumo Hall? It's one of the two. They oh, might be okay. Sorry? 
It's both. Yeah, I just had a Jeez. look when I saw that question on Twitter and they're using Sumo Hall, I think, for boxing and Budokan for something like judo and karate or something like that. Um, oh, so they're not available, which is I a problem then for your final weekend. Don't. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And yeah, that's going to be a... a t- you see, it's double-edged sword about moving it out of Japan because you can also see at the same point in Tokyo, there's going to be an absolute ton of tourists who are over there for the Olympics. Mm. And if there's a way, rather like in Mexico City, where you you basically pitch the idea of it's a cultural thing to do while you're in Tokyo is to go and see some wrestling because it's going on all the time, then that might not be a bad shout for them. But at the same time, not having Budokan now in sumo, oh, that makes it tough. It might do what the trots do like they did with the Akada Nakamura final and run the dome and just pray to God that there isn't a tsunami outside that was the last time they did because that hurt a lot of the sales for tickets there was like no walk up business as a result mm-hmm. so they might think of doing something like that depend you know uh, otherwise yeah more shows outside of London would be good mm. obviously yeah definitely mm-hmm. I think we'd all take that um, next question and probably one to Pretty much finish on because it ties into something we're going to talk about anyway. Chris Elliott asks if G1 participants were football commentators, who would they be? And mm-hmm. to be honest, we were going to talk about G1 as uh, as football teams anyway, weren't we? Uh, we JP. Uh, I yep. don't know. Anyone got any thoughts on uh, on either of those, uh, the G1 Premier League or the G1 uh, football commentators? Well, if we're talking Man City, you're pretty much going to be talking a card, yeah? Yeah. Kind of as yeah. the perfect wrestler ghetto could be Guardiola yeah I know they're not together now but Guardiola had to move on from Barcelona obviously and go to Germany and he didn't win the championship with them and he's not managed to do that with Jay White yet so you know there's that comparison um yeah who's Liverpool then um so oh doing pretty well yeah he won the title yes but is getting there yeah and has really Come on away! Yeah. Sort of yeah. his gap year days when he was fucking around in shooting the rest of it. Yeah, Naito at this point it kind of feels a bit like Man United, or would you go Tanahashi for that? Man United, thought- Chelsea. <laughs> go on. Oh, yeah, I thought Tanahashi is United, a former great who was struggling to keep with yeah. the teams these days. You know. Yeah, and I think you go Naito as Chelsea, kind of slipping down that little bit as well. Bit stale. Yeah, a little bit stale, breaking down a little bit. Transfer ban in terms of the breakdown, possibly. For, for Spurs, I know the position of the table doesn't equate to this necessarily. I'd go for Zack Sabre Jr. Spurs have got a bit of a hipster reputation at the moment as a club. Yeah. Watching NXT over in SummerSlam, seeing all these Canadians with Spurs shirts. The crowd's a bit like, let's get on here. <laughs> and then you've got your your new White Art Lane and the heart of kind of hipster central with your beer brewery in there and all the rest. So they seem very Zack Sabre Jr. Vegan friendly club as well. So there's that. Um, what about Osprey? Oh, I'd love to really say Osprey as Arsenal. Wolves. Wolves, yeah. Mm. Kind yeah, of, Leicester's yeah. a good one as well. Up and coming, yeah. Leicester, the thing is, Leicester won the league when they when they. Yeah. Osprey won the won the Super Juniors though, so I suppose there's that. Uh, who's Everton, by the way? That's, That's what I want to know. FA Cup though. Yeah, so again, really. who's Everton? Mm. Oh. Sonada. Always, I think Everton needs to be someone who's always kind of been around, 
but we're kind of just floating there near, near like the upper middle, but not really challenging Goto. to win. Goto. 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 Shit, Goto. we're Goto. Oh, we're Goto. Goto got to the final a couple of years ago of a G1 yeah. challenge. Yeah. He's had IWGP title shots. Yeah, is that like when you finished fourth, but then got Villarreal in So we won that FA Cup. 20 years ago <laughs> does that yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah who's Arsenal then I was going to say Sonata is Arsenal Kenta. just a bit dull just a bit stale well yeah this, it's like when we would play it around the bot I don't know I'm quietly excited about Arsenal season at the minute I've you know drunk the Kool-Aid on that front but the idea of of looking good but at the same time not really having the kind of mm. sort of steel to pull out the really great performances certainly on the big occasions as well has fucking bottled it yeah <laughs> see Baku <laughs> okay oh. who's Jeff Cobb Jeff Cobb would be so maybe someone who got promoted and we thought they were going to be quite promising the villa forgettable Spent, mm, no, we don't know about Villa at the moment. So I know, but spent company. a lot of money. But Brighton. Yeah. What about Fulham? Fulham. Mm. Yeah, yeah well, we that's not. I think Fulham's a good one. You know what? From like Sessegnon and Mitrovic, I was expecting big things. Yeah. Schurler last season as well as a big signing. Yeah, I think. Well, like Fulham, could you class them as that? Because they're in the Championship now. So we going current yeah. Premier? We going last season? Uh, oh, we're going to have to go. The go analogy current. fits. We'll mix it up because yeah. I've gone Jay White as Blackburn. I'm not changing that one. <laughs> oh, Relegation looms, I hope. What about Fally? Who's Fally? Oh. Been Newcastle? around stinking it up for years. Newcastle, they won't go away. Alleged yeah. big club. Chandles. Yeah. 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 He's about the size of Mike Ashley as well. I'd probably like to be <laughs> Throwing up in a fireplace as much as Mike Ashley does as well. I could see him in the stands eating a pie with Mike Ashley and having a pint. I could see that happening. Look at the clobber he's wearing as well. Straight out of Sports Direct, them t shirts. Size of them, like 4XL. Jesus. He's reaching high on the rack in Sports Direct. (laughs) It works too well. Is there anybody we've missed out? Yano is the last one. Yano can be Southampton, just, uh, just, yeah, comedy, unpredictable most of the time. Just go for a laugh. Uh, <laughs> for a me constantly. <laughs> Don't know what what way the result's going to go. Just a complete loose cannon, if anything. Uh, Although we're not really a laugh. It was a laugh. I found it hard to laugh last season because I love Neil Warnock's interviews because he's just. <laughs> Well, the lads did well today. They put a good performance. That was a great game out there today, wasn't it? It's was a great pleasure to be in the Premier League. Oh, the refereeing decisions out there today. Oh, the one he stood on. Uh, I'm, I'm just going off on a Neil Warnock tangent. Now, so <laughs> shut up. <laughs> oh, that's what people Who's Who is Moxley? He, he would be. Uh, He'd be good as Wolves, actually. He'd be good as Wolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone who came up with a, uh, you know, did where did Wolves finish? Like seventh last year. Not to prove. Yeah. Big history, spent a bit of money. Yeah. People thought. Eh. He wasn't in the top yeah. four, but he was there or thereabouts, you know. Yeah. Who's Ishii? Yeah. Ooh. Underrated. Ooh, yeah. It'd have to be like a good football, good technical Bournemouth. football team. Bournemouth. He's Eddie Howe. They've been around for a bit now. They they were around for years in all their financial trouble. <laughs> Came up around sort of 2015. Ishii got his first G1 in 2013. They've sustained that Premier League position. He sustained his G1 and New Japan position. He's always entertaining matches. Bournemouth for a wild team and always are in entertaining matches as well, I find. Very unpredictable. 
I know Bournemouth hasn't got the appeal of Ishii and the kind of badass reputation as one of the most probably the most middle class team in the Prem, but yeah. in terms mm. of form, I think you could go with that. Yeah, I can see Ishii having a, hanging around Bournemouth and liking it. You know, he's, he seems like a man who the as long as there's a Nando there, he'd be all right. You can't <laughs> see him hanging around Aston then. Nah, seems unlikely. <laughs> Because he's about as rough as that area. Have you ever been around Villa Park before? Oh, I don't think I've been around uh, Villa Park. But... Jesus, it's bleak. Benno, you think... Uh, I've been to Birmingham away, but not you... Villa. Kirkdale, Kirk you think that's bleak near Goodison. Get to Villa. <laughs> That'll be my next trip. Oh, fucking hell. Uh, anything else on that? Or should we finish high? Because I don't think we can do better than that. No, I think we should... We should... <laughs> Oh, it's a good place to start. We finish on a high. We should mention, and it's not a high for me. We should mention the Pickhams. Uh, we talked oh. it all summer. Oh, yeah. Jamesy, I'm gonna just you know concede in the post Pickhams in their version of the C block. Should have been the P block though. I got 51 points in the end. Jamesy got 52. Uh, Davy Portman 54. Waiting 54. Uh, and then Mike Murray 57 in the in the lead. So neither of us came near. But yeah, you won the uh, the mini British wrestling experience battle there, Jamesy. Well done. Credit to you. Beat the Rando bot as well, which is the main thing. We couldn't oh. be losing to the Rando bot. If Okada had just if they just stuck to the guns and gone with my Okada story, it was never happening though, was it, lads? Nah, they nah. weren't. They, you, had, you had a lot of faith in that. At the end of the day, yeah, it fell yeah, apart. Even... How did you do in voices? And how did uh, our mates do? How did Gareth do? How did um, the uh, the Lemon of the Shadows do? Um, <laughs> um, I'm looking at Gareth. In the end, he finished fiftieth. Um, Naito fucked him. If you want to have it simply put, um, looking on there as well. Um, oh, Sarah Flannery did well, and she was there live, wasn't she, for the final? And mm. She had Kota Ibushi beating Jay White, so. She'd have there been you go. That. And she was 103rd. Sam finished 108th. Uh, um, very much like an Ishii style performance. Doing well overall at that top end of the town, building on last year's work. Maybe gets to a final next year. And me, on the other hand, it went the fucking rails uh, very quick. My Tanahashi pick proved to be a pretty disaster. Tanahashi to win it. In the final. Uh. So, 369th, I finished mid-table, which sort of really sounds a bit Arsenal, doesn't it? For a while doing okay. <laughs> what was it? finished mid-table? What are you on about? No, but the collapse at the end. You haven't finished Oh, mid-table. did you see those Palace and Brighton games? Yeah, yeah it was a bit I, like... I spoke to you at length about yeah. it, but you didn't finish mid-table. Let's put that into perspective. And you got to a final. Well, thank God this is, the you know, next year we're doing, tw- hopefully everyone doing 20 quid all in, 16 grand all this. <laughs> I'll do nothing for a month and watch that. Uh, yeah, we'll get the grapple Seriously, game going just... next year. JP, if you fancy oh. football performances, anything to go by, I'm worried about you next year if there's money at stake. Well, I'm expecting big things next week mm. from, that, from that performance. Now with James Madison and Virgil van Dijk. In and there. Troy Parrott. <laughs> Troy Parrott on the bench. Keep an eye. James, oh. you've heard of him, haven't you, Troy Parrott? I've no idea who he is. <laughs> 17 year old Irish is? lad who plays for Spurs. JP. Uh, they, for the second podcast in a row, I've been showing up. <laughs> oh, my God. Done over royally. If for no other reason, then the people who listen to this, at least the, the name of Troy Parrott is out there before you know it. You know, someone has a word with the football manager, lad, his stats get better. 
people start. Who does he play for Spurs? Is it plays for Spurs? Man U in that pre-season game in God knows where. Did you watch it? I watched clips of it. (laughs) I may have watched a YouTube video bit of just his touches in the match. Just for God's sake! Amazing. I'm not ashamed of that either. Bad, isn't it? Uh, and on that, on that, right. <laughs> right? I'm wrapping the show on that one, JP. We can't yes. go anywhere from there. No. Um, Jamesy, anything you'd like to plug before you go? Last issue of Fighting Spirit Mags out. Are you in it? Uh, I do. I have a review of the OTT Contender show from last month, and apart from that, uh, Twitter at Jamesy underscore 2015. Awesome. And listen to me and Jamesy on the British Wrestling Experience every other oh, Wednesday God, yeah. on postwrestling.com. <laughs> Look, Brit Res is dead, Jamesy, but the show's still going. We'll, we'll be I there really until our dying days. <laughs> God, it's too late. It's too late. <laughs> Anything you want to plug, JP, or anyone we should uh, shout out, maybe, from uh, who've helped us out this G1 season? Oh, I mean, there's, I mean, I'd say one of the big shouts, obviously, to Gareth, who comes up with all of the stats mm. for us as well. That's been fantastic. Thank you to everyone who sent in the questions as well and listened to the shows and given us feedback. Really gratefully appreciated. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been another watch. Three of these now we've done. Mm. Like, it feels like, yeah, get through these. So, three, what? Have we done three of these? No, this is the two. Fucking hell, what's happened to me? Yeah, I need a break. <laughs> uh, I just, that, that's the big takeaway there is, I need a break. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at JPGP3Es. Good man. Find me on Twitter at Benson Richard E. Uh, shout out to our friend Ian Hamilton at BadBodyDrop.com. Always a yes. good good resource for the for these podcasts as well. And um, Curious as well. All and, for us doing good work. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, yeah. The, the voices of wrestling lads, uh, and obviously John and Way at Post uh, with their podcast too. Hopefully, it's uh, been worthwhile for everyone. Uh, this is going to be obviously this was advertised the bonus episode, lads. We got at the, as I speak, we've gotten two hours thirty seven minutes, so two hours forty. It's basically a full length spotlight episode at this point. So uh, yeah. we are taking Monday off. Uh, throw that bombshell in there. Uh, we're taking Monday off because there's no wrestling to talk about. Brit Res is dead anyway, uh, and there's no real. Not much going on right now. Uh, I think everyone's uh, after big SummerSlam weekend, the big G One weekend. I think we all mm. deserve a, a bit of a blow. So we'll be back for the uh, for the bank holiday weekend next time, and we'll uh, we'll catch up on uh, on everything we've been watching in the meantime. But yeah, anyway, that's us for another week. We'll be back next Monday. Bye. <laughs>